0: Returning very briefly with a, another episode of Syllabus Journal Entry. And we're getting pretty far into our syllabus journal series here. And we want to just make sure that we stay on top of the, the, the commentary and the news articles and the current events of today and all the things that are really moving pretty fast. You can see that we're breaking down to a political sniping and warfare. You can see that the Washington, D.C., they're setting up the special counsel against Donald Trump again for, you know, like the 10th year in a row of them trying to deep state trying to destroy Donald Trump. And of course, Donald Trump is gearing up to go for the presidency. And the Republican Party have tested like its wounds now after having such a brutal election slog where we should have had this huge red wave. But of course, the massive election fraud and cheating and the machine Manipulation and the ballot stuffing campaigns that they obviously, you know, used against Cary Lake. They can't have uh, Arizona declare any kind of emergency or an invasion. They don't want to stop the process of breaking the country down and moving us towards a globalist regional district of the, you know, the World Economics Forum's plan to turn us all into United Nations branch offices. So um, we're working hard here and we just want to introduce some new perspective. Yeah. Syllabus journal entry back here again. We have another, another entry we want to add in here and we just get to go through some of the, the latest uh, media reports and news articles and different things that are kind of popping in the background. And as, as Americans and people who should want to be an American, you know, maybe you're from another country, you know, another part of the world, but America is great. Being an American is, is a great thing. And one of the power nexus, of, of, you know, for the American people is how much information, good quality, up-to-date, fast information that we can get. And sometimes the misinformation and disinformation that's coming out is also a form of information, you know, because you can, you can count on, you know, MSNBC or, uh, you know, Microsoft Network online. You can count on them to constantly or CNN to constantly produce information that's derogatory towards Trump consistently in every possible way of looking at the world. Any bad news, defamatory perspective that we can possibly look at Trump and his family, then they will be sure to, to get that to me immediately. And of course, it's usually highly biased, highly curated you know, pseudo information where the story is Trump gets into the, to the airplane to go on a trip. And that, and you can take that simple story headline Trump on the tarmac should be the headline, but of course, there's no, that's not a real headline. You need CNN, you have to be Trump perpetuates racism at the airport. You know, that, 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 that's how the headline it has to read, you know. So we have to constantly count on the information in the world to be skewed in these different ways. And uh, d- the way that you have to make up for the way light bends when you, when it hits a black hole, right? You can count on light to bend and to be distorted and, and disappear even, when there, when a black hole is in the pathway, and then of course the light will re- resume from the star. The star light will resume to its normal brilliancy after the uh, after the, the the alignment with the black hole is so over. You can tell where the black hole is simply because it consistently must distort the light. And just like CNN and MSNBC and all these liberal sycophants must constantly distort the truth in order to to try to hone the the narrative of their worldview. And so in in this kind of like fashion, we carry on. We have to adhere to our way of understanding the truth. And that can be very often just a matter of perception. But as we go forward, we're trying to look at the world as it is and not as we wish it to be. And the state of the world is a difficult, terrifying dilemma that we face with the aggressors, the slow-moving train wreck of the CCP, What it, the, the, the way it victimizes its own people and the way it, it threatens to victimize Taiwan and the West and the, the way that it, it insinuates its own personal power to steal the, the goods and the creative products and innovations of other nations and other people just to build its own war machine. And the way that people consistently, nations and governments, just the way we saw Germany go blindly into the into the hands of the russians with this energy and the pipelines and the whole situation and they couldn't see how how vulnerable they you know the vulnerable position they they got themselves into even being in the eu it's the same kind of position that the, the america is putting itself in the world stage so that we're not ready to defend our principles and you have these these betrayers like these mark milley obama worshipers you know what's wrong with this guy he's a traitor he called the Chinese and told them he was going to undermine the president. We should hang him up by a niece. You know, I'm just some guy. I mean, I, I realize the stand I have to stake on this podcast. It puts me in a precarious position because now the uh, the FBI wants to come, come hunt, hunt us down. People who think like me, right? By the million. They want to roll us up. Maybe one at a time. They went out there to the guy, the Area 51 guy. What was up with that? when they busted through there they're going to bust through all our houses guys well these are the hessians these are the new hessians so you have to question this on the ground localized terrorism of the fbi against the american people and what purpose it serves and somebody i have to rely on quite consistently here is lou Dobbs. i mean lou Dobbs has been around forever he knows everyone personally met all the players you know i mean he's not like the greatest journalist in the world right but he's just some guy who's who's older and he he's been around as long as joe biden's been around right generally roughly and he's watched all this evolve from back in the day before i was born i gotta rely on lou Lou dobbs you know i gotta so do you you have to rely on his perspective and and this isn't a game but american independence and the fight for american independence and liberty has always been a dangerous matter of taking cannon fire and having to get control of cannon positions and aim the cannons back at the redcoats right it's the same situation so we're looking at these ley lines of power this interconnectivity of civilization and their occult nuances right their their occult ritualism and their, their way of build freemasonry their way of freely building a new empire And so we have to take it upon ourselves to question these things as Americans. And we have to do it for ourselves, for our children, even at our own peril, as I have to, and you have to. But for the sake of the other people around the world who are relying on America to be the shining city on a hill. But ultimately, God is behind these things because we're a nation of laws and the sovereignty of the American people to choose the direction and the, the, the nature of its own government when you have these forces behind the scenes who are situating a tyranny within the the branches the three branches of our government by setting up the presidency to be an imperial in an imperium right so you have absolute dictatorial powers you write you write a declaration you make an executive order and the general has to click his heels and and goose step out of the room and ever, everyone has to jump to attention and everyone you know We have to do a flyover with the jets. You know, we have to get some satellite pictures of what's on the ground, and we have to do whatever, you know, the the commander-in-chief, the imperium says. In this case, Joe Biden or Donald Trump. In either case, I have no interest in having any of these people make executive orders. It's not in the Constitution, and neither is the FBI. Your right to go to an abortion rally and protest your feelings and then defend your son from the perverted assaults of, like, weird... uh. Abortion attackers that are that might be there or, or Antifa far whoever's there to assault you wherever you're at. doesn't matter if you're in front of an ant, you know. So they're going to try to send this guy away for, for 10, 20 years. This, this is the warfare, guys. And we have to get these gun positions. Just like Sebastian Gorka said, I'm not interested anymore in like elections. I'm just interested in fighting it out for these ballots to harvest the ballots. I don't know how we harvest ballots. They're doing it we got to do that too. I don't know how they're getting it all set up. I don't know if it's legal. Or, but they're winning elections. They're winning the warfare. They're taking out our people. Like trash and sending to prison on, on bullcrap. They're letting uh, all the evidence be erased. Like Jeffrey Epstein, they allowed him just to be erased. No video footage. No questions asked. The people who were on duty that night, they you know, where, where are they at? They're at drinking, drinking Mai Tais somewhere by the beach, right? These people are actively paying for the disintegration of our country, and uh, we have to hold together. It doesn't take very many patriots to win the the war for independence, but they have to fight to the end, and they have to be willing to send the cowardly Hessian redcoats home in body bags. That's that's tough, because they're, they're, those Hessians have come in, in, in there from the elector of Hess, Hess Cassell, right? And they're being provided for by Rothschild banking elites to the king to come over here. They don't want really to Get into a war skirmish. They'll just send some uh, some vigilante justice their way. Right? They'll just send over some mercenaries for hire, just to go over there and and, and beat down the, the American citizens, and to to crash into their houses and rifle through their stuff and hit them with you know endanger them with weapons and just you know get them to, get them, get them, get back in line, toe the line. So as American people, we have to decide whether we're just going to get in line and follow the the dictates, which our ancestors did not do. They fought to the death. They're the patriots and the heroes who laid down their lives and rather than get on their knees and and start polishing the knob, g- g- kissing the uh, the toe, kissing the feet, the slippered feet of the princes and the, and the and the popes and the aristocracy of of Europe. That's what the uh, Illuminati was, guys. It was just the aristocracy of Europe getting together to fight off this peasant's revolt, right? This movement of the people to just generally break out of the ignorance and the malaise of Centuries of papal enforced dark ages and murder and Inquisition and flames. They try to downplay it now because they've had to take a different stance. But their their doctrine is unchangeable and it's immutable. Even though their outer exoteric doctrine seems to be like more like you know Beatles, you know happy 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 ecumenism, you know reaching out to the people. But inside their esoteric doctrine within is the same it's that they have no mercy or pity for all the people who are not kneeled at the knees of the pope and with their with their rosaries saying hail marys following the dictates of the jesuit order the infallibility of the pope and all these all these ideas the infallibility of the pope being a newfangled machination of the magisterium right there in rome to and of course, the Jesuit order, you know, right at the time of, of Lincoln's assassination. So Lincoln is going to be assassinated. Mary Surratt, all all, all all the, all the priests. They actually hung a priest who was a collaborator, right? This this was, this was the uh, the, the Pope's bidding. This was the desire of the Jesuit order to eliminate a, a heretical king, right? Exterminate a heretical king who would not submit to them. They were on the side of the South. The Pope sent letters of support to the South. The Pope had no interest in giving up the slave trade, right? The Pope and, and Rome had been operating the slave trade before Islam existed. So we have to get more education, guys. We have to do more here in syllabus journal entry to get in here. And, and right now we're just going to review a quick, a quick little peek at some Lou Dobbs interviews and just get, get a question answered about why is America's national government and the people's national sovereignty and our democracy being dissolved into a global government that's arising here the North American Union, and it's we're going to get into today. So let's listen to this uh, fascinating interview.
1: Well, it's not only sickening. I mean, I I think as the president said, we're, we're in a very dark period right now, and we're in uncharted waters as a country when it is so obvious that the Department of Justice, the FBI... Uh, Other intelligence agencies uh, have been caught lying under oath, for example, with the FBI officials lying to Congress, lying to the FISA court, Uh, the Russia hoax, as you well know, the fact that you had the FBI include a portal in the law office of Perkins Coie where NSA tools were being used to spy on political opponents. If you recall, John Jordan mentioned that or brought that to light about three weeks ago, I believe. I mean, this is the weaponization of law enforcement and the intelligence agencies and the tools with which they bring against the American people or anybody
2: who stands against this current administration. And if we let it's this stand, if, if we let this stand, Kurt, we have. We are no longer a republic. We are no longer a democracy. Uh, we are something entirely different than the United States of America. And, and it will be a judgment of the people. Uh, we had uh, people standing outside Mar-a-Lago. I don't know what the American people have to do here, but I do know this. If we accept this, uh, there's an old saying, you get what you accept. And what we have accepted is. After six years of persecution, the political persecution of this president, is an FBI that is encouraged now to trample his rights and those of every American. Uh, It's just outrageous. Uh, You're talking about uh, Crossfire Hurricane. The fact that the FBI, all we know about the FBI is that they're corrupt, they lie, They've done done so through, you know, how many uh, directors of the FBI have lied through their teeth to Congress, to the American people? Uh, How many crimes have been committed after two impeachments, two presidential impeachments of this president? After a special counsel, after more than, well, almost three years of investigation by the FBI, the only thing we know is that the FBI lied, they cheated, and they stole they were fraudulent in their activities, and they knew they knew the truth and kept it from the American people for the course of the entire presidency of Donald J. Trump and are doing so today. Why in hell should we put up with that kind of conduct from these kind of people who make up the FBI? Well, the, the short answer is we shouldn't.
1: And in terms of the power that the American people have, you know, their power lies at the ballot box, which, which has some questions, but as demonstrated by the election in Arizona, where Kerry Lake defeated the establishment candidate for governor, Mark Fincham won his race for secretary of state. That, I think, reverberated through the establishment Republican Party. Who do not want Carrie Lake, for example, to become governor because she will take out the McCain, the McCain uh, uh, power center there. The in terms of what the people can do about it, I would say, where are our elected representatives? What Republicans for sure, but even you would hope some freedom-loving Democrats as well. So, you know, when Andrew mccarthy excuse me, Kevin McCarthy, you know, announces that uh, Merrick Garland preserve your documents. You know, if and when we get in power in, you know, in, in January of 2023, well, you know, big deal. What are you doing now? Why isn't every Republican senator, and I haven't heard any Republican senators come out and denounce what happened, only a few Republican representatives, but why isn't a block, the entire Republican party in the Senate and in the House marching on the FBI? right now protest, not, not to do it for the camera on TV, but on you know, a block every single one of them marching down from the Capitol to the FBI and to protest what they're doing. You know, again, this is this is unprecedented what happened. And so the response should be unprecedented as well. But the Republican senators, and even you would hope for some, as I said, freedom-loving Democrats who realize it used to be the Democrats that were always against the authority, you know, the, the man, but now they embrace authority, and it's really disturbing, and it's, we're at a dangerous point in our country, I believe.
2: What would be, in your opinion, uh, the reason that we haven't heard anything from the American Bar Association, uh, the American Civil Liberties Union? Why haven't we heard from uh, attorneys within the Republican Party standing up and, and talking about what an affront to the Constitution uh, and, and to tradition uh, and to a former president's rights and expectations, if you will, why, is it, why, why are attorneys across this country so left-wing and those who are seemingly Republican so feckless? Lou, I think every one of those institutions has
1: been co-opted, and that would be the American Bar uh, Association, that would be the ACLU, you know, all of them have basically been co-opted and are now working with the regime, if you will, the left-wing Marxist revolution that is attempted to be, uh, that they're attempting to impose on the country right now. I mean, you you ask yourself uh, those questions, but if you look, you know, everywhere you look, the institutions that used to, we used to look to, to guard, you know, our republic and the freedoms that we have, they're no longer there. And it's because they're made up of people. And those people that are now running those institutions are on board with what is being imposed right now. This really is a, uh, I think it's a war on the American people by the current government and the uh, institutions around it that support it, such as the ACLU that used to be averse to power. You don't really see, I mean, even Alan Dershowitz has come out and said, you know, where's the ACLU that, you know, I used to know? And, you know, Alan Dershowitz, uh, you know, and I are not aligned on many things in politics, but you know, he has stayed true to his belief system in terms of, you know, being against abuses of power and to to make sure that the government lives within the constraints
2: of the Constitution. Well, a lot of people who, whatever their charge, and, and Dershowitz has been a smart man, a smart lawyer and professor for a very long time. But I have to say, his influence on the legal system of this country is de minimis. Uh, his influence on the institutions, whether it be the FBI, the executive or the, the presidency, has been de minimis. We haven't had uh, a, a, a a significant influence whatsoever in Washington, D.C., or the swamp, if you prefer. Trump, uh, for four years, and he was... And he was Forced out, he was uh, a victim of a uh, of a, an attempted coup. That while it didn't succeed, it certainly did end the prospects uh, at the ballot box that he would return uh, for at least four years. We are we have been watching Donald Trump be persecuted since the the second half of 2016 to the present day, and no one stands up for the man. No one actually does much uh, a handful of people but this man has had to fight he and his family have had to fight this basically on their own from from jump street and, and isn't that remarkable that we haven't had more people step forward and step into the system and say we're going to we're going to fight this we've got a handful of candidates across the country thanks to trump's interest and uh, efforts but man, do we need patriots now. We do, but it also shows you the power of the forces that
1: are arrayed against not only President Trump, but of the people that support him. And so all of these actions are designed to keep him from running in 2024, whether it's the January 6th committee, whether it is, you know, was the impeachment before, you know, they're goal is to keep him from run, running in 2024 because they know he'll win. You and I mean, for example look at the policies that are that are being uh, imposed now by the current administration whether it's on immigration, energy, critical race theory, the weaponization of the Department of Justice for example. They're not changing those policies even though this administration knows they're deeply unpopular. And are going to likely result in a red wave in the upcoming midterms. They're not changing course, and that tells you something, because they think they can win or get what they want done beforehand. And there are real questions about, I think, whether we're going to see a midterm election that is conducted, you know, normally. For example, they just declared, or Biden just declared, a national emergency for monkeypox. But well, why? And this is a repeat of the coronavirus Imposing a national emergency and all of a sudden mail-in voting is what's required. You know, you can't show up at the, uh, at the polls to vote in person, so you have mail-in voting, which is quite frankly right to
2: fraud. The fact is there are about 7,500 cases in the entire United States. It affects male to male homosexual uh, sexual contact. Don't do that, and we will bring the, the you know, this thing to a conclusion uh, for those who are at risk. This is madness. And the fact that the national corporate media doesn't point out what a fool this president is, this impaired, incapable, incoherent fool, uh, is treated as if he were the uh, legitimate president of the United States. He is an oak, his wife is a caretaker. Uh, and a tender. I, I mean, this is madness what we are witnessing. This is a country gone mad. Uh, I, in, in every, you look at every corner. We've got a, a military that wants to send troops to the eastern flank of Europe to contend with Vladimir Putin instead of letting the Europeans defend themselves. Let them make decisions about NATO. Uh, why must uh, this, this leader of the free world, who's just the same fellow that I just described, uh, impaired, a fool? And uh, it just goes on and on. This is in- irrational. This is madness. And I can't think of a single policy being pursued by this administration. And I will again, I'll turn to you. Name one policy that is rational and in the national interest and in the interest of the American people. That this president has pursued or ordered through executive order or administrative action.
1: No, I don't think there's a single action that has been for the benefit of the American people. Everything is being is designed to take the country down. This is part of you know we've talked before about the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab. The Build Back Better agenda, the Green New Deal, which doesn't (coughs) apply just to the United States, but every Western leader is repeating Build Back Better, whether it was Boris Johnson, uh, Justin Trudeau, Macron. And you have to ask yourself, why are all these Western leaders repeating the same agenda? Which, by the way, every Western European country is now under the same inflationary pressures, the illegal immigration pressures. Everything is being done to tear down the nation-state system of governance and to usher in globalism. And so we are in uncharted territory as a country and for the Western world in this. This is an agenda by the World Economic Forum to impose globalism. And to do that, they need to destroy the fabric of each nation-state. You may not be aware because it wasn't really reported much, but on March 29th and March 30th in Dubai, there was a meeting of over 4,000 members of the Global Governance Association, many from the United States. This all arises out of the World Economic Forum, and you can look it up. There are two primary topics: were mandating a digital ID for everyone and digital currency, and that is how you impose social control you asked earlier about where are the institutions? You know, the American Bar Association, the ACLU, the media—they are all under the control of the world economic forum. It's a this. This is like an octopus that, through the years, has grown into this behind-the-scenes behemoth that is controlling governments. I mean, even David Gergen—you know, the CNN supposed Republican—you can see if you Google him. His interviews with Klaus Schwab, Klaus Schwab, this is like 10 years ago, admits that they control the cabinets in France, Argentina, and Canada. They probably named a few other countries. This is something that has been silently creeping through the Western world. And we are now at the apex of what the World Economic Forum's goal is, which is to take down the United States and President Trump, because he stood in the way of globalism and Marxism. But this is where we are as a country now.
0: So yeah, we just carry on. And uh, we, like I was saying, I really count on that perspective and that kind of courageous outlook in order to be able to carry on, in order to, to make sure that we check our gauges and we make sure that we we balance ourselves in our and our perspective against the wisdom and the The leadership of others, other Americans, you know what I mean, that are around us who care, we know, care about our country, who are, who are concerned, who have these, these same various doubts or dubious sense of pit in your stomach. As uh, the one uh, Fox financial, a genius uh, analyst there was, was saying he had the same feeling before the elections. And we, we have the same feeling regarding this whole issue with a out of control, tyrannical FBI looking to just. Wipe us out, or, or just to, to take the Mike Lindell's, you know, the, the business leaders, the political leaders, the the people who are at the forefront of this movement, of this political populist movement in America, which is really democracy, which is really just the way our republic was designed to show and to to, to, to with our own charisma to share with our neighbors our feelings about the way the government should go, to work amongst the body politic, to work it out amongst ourselves. What is the the real truth of the matter of so many of these schmucks, like these yeah, Adam shifts of the, of, of the political world, these, these different animals who uh, have been up there in Washington, DC for so many decades as, we, as a political corporate body, as an American national sovereign people, we need to choose for ourselves the direction that the, the nation, nation needs to go. And we need to go into the ballot box and execute a decision. And so the, these, tyrannists are right in the middle of this entire process stepping in, using the weight as if no one's there, as if there's no there's no conspiration and there's no combination of forces behind the scenes. There's no deep state. Can can you point to the deep state and, and tell us where it's at? And like, and of course, you know, this is a, an asymmetrical, invisible committee, if you want, of individuals in the background, the, the Obama worshippers that are there, obviously you have so many Obama retreads you know in power right now you can see that it's the same uh, same situation as before it's, it's it's the same dilemma we were facing when we had the hillary clinton debacle getting our men our warriors killed in benghazi same thing happened with the the fast and furious gun running issue that has empowered these cartels with our own military's weapons so they can push up against us at the southern border so this is an this this is a a cabal of treacherous traitors guys Treacherous traitors, behind the look at the Mark Milley kind of level sycophants, and they're in power, and they have all the the uh, the intelligence reports on all of us. They have all the levers of power. They have the ability to monitor us and to do what the CIA was not supposed to do, which is turn inward on the American people, and to hunt us and run us to ground. And they do it the way that they're destroying the economy. They're they're going to destroy this national republic and this system of states and counties and and electoral power that the American people have so that it's not going to be a federated system of democracy the way that it was designed under the Constitution. It's going to be done away with. You can see that they're moving fast as possible. They're moving towards this North American Union. They're just allowing and facilitating millions and millions of illegal immigrants into the country. And so they're going to change the demographic and they're going to manipulate technotronically and through the old school ballot stuffing means of controlling the outcome of these elections, just the way they do in other countries. It's just another color revolution that's being perpetrated against the American people. And so we as a large mob, as a large posse, as a large group cannot you know easily work out the group psychology and, and the group decision making that requires a populist movement to be able to react and to move. That's why you have a whole bunch of people, tens and tens of thousands of people, moving down to the Capitol on January 6th, and there they find that there's a ruckus and that the gates have already been moved, the doors have already been opened, and people are already, like, touring through the Capitol, and it's an insurrection. So this is the kind of pre-planning. It's the same guy. You had to go back to, it was in Revolver News, okay? So this is old news to people who are who are like listening with their ear to the ground and paying attention. Which everyone else who's not paying attention, it's obvious that the FBI leadership that was in charge of creating this Michigan witchmer kidnapping hoax and trying to send some uh, some bums and some just, they, they roused the rabble, right? They got some rabble and they're going to send them up the road to prison because they needed a political event because the witch, Gretchen Witchmer, was supposedly threatened by this imposed FBI operation to create a political situation, right? To create a drama by which the Democrats could use to call the the American people and the Republicans radicals and violent extremists. That's how the whole story played. Of course, the entire thing was a, a FBI staged entrapment, right? So, and then they take that guy and they move him over to the Washington, D.C. field office just weeks before January 6th, and they prep the whole thing, and they have the, the mysterious bomb, right, that was put at the DNC headquarters there in Washington, D.C. They can't they can't figure that out. They can't get to the bottom of it, but obviously they went a little bit too far because the FBI is always trying to set bombs. You're right. That's what happened during uh, the first... World Trade Center bombing, right? Then they then they give those guys the bomb and they went up there and blew up the World Trade Center with it in the parking lot, the parking garage. Yeah, you know, that bomb was built by FBI guys. That's just that's just the facts. We've been dealing with this problem. I'm I'm glad you all came around to put your aluminum, you know, aluminum foil hat on so the laser beams can't affect your brain. That's why we wear them. No, but I'm glad you came around to look at reason and to, and to hear this totally rational criticism of our federal government and this power structure that's been in place for a long time. And we have to go in and take a look at 9-11. Oh my God, 9-11 was an inside job. I mean, and I'm not saying that I understand or I was there or I have visit video evidence of how all the different components of that mechanism was set into place. Everyone has a debate about it, you know, but there was definitely charges set in that building. When it came time to drop those buildings, they dropped them. Just like Larry Silverstein was saying about Building Seven, how they just dropped it. Well, they you know those buildings were destroyed. It was a way to deal with the, the 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 construction costs that would have been to take those old buildings down. You know, it was an insurance claim, and they turned it into a national security event. And that's of course one of the the things that we're not allowed to talk about. It's still under wraps. Still classified just a skull and bones bush and cheney operation so you know you have the democrats same same deep state same uniparty system at the very top I mean, down below is everyone fighting and waving signs at each other but at the very top it's just nancy pelosi and chuck schumer and uh mitch mcconnell cocaine mitch right they got mitch mcconnell up there with his ccp wife and you got Diane Feinstein, who had the, the CCP spy driver for 20 years, right? So that, all that's already been done. All the files have already been passed. All the crimes have already been committed. The espionage has already occurred. Their weapon systems are already built. It's already happened, guys. The Clintons already made their billions, selling, selling secrets to China. And uh, we just know this because we're the American people, because we have so much, you know, the, the, you know of course, they're going to try to seth rich us all. They're gonna find all of us, you know, hundreds of millions of us, they're just gonna find our body on a park bench. You no know, one and everyone just whistling, what happened there? So their their insane system of murder and political malevolence that they're they're attacking us with is gonna continue on. It's gonna get more aggressive, it's gonna spiral out of control, just like Benghazi and the we're back we're back to these uh, these morons at the helm just like fast and furious just like what happened now that that Biden's in there within months weeks just short time all of a sudden Afghanistan falls for no other reason than we have a moron and a bunch of transgender woke gay boys right got a bunch of queer boys up at the pentagon guys they're just interested in playing the politics of division you know instead of instead of team cohesion they just got a bunch of uh you're just gonna have to get the the little chat about including everybody who's even a transgender queers, or the perverted. They're perverted. That's what, that's what this used to be called. When, when they would go after people's kids, they were debauching the kids. And they used to um, get the, the pitchforks and, and the torches out and, and run people out of town. But nowadays, we, we all get together at the library and we, we get our kids there to go before, before the, the drag queen to be debauched. We're debauching the kids, guys. You know what happens when that happens to a kid? You know how they grow up this is generations this isn't just the one the one weird kid who got molested in the back of the classroom this is going to be generations of kids systematically molested systematically sexualized and debauched so this is what these guys are trying to ram down our throats right this is the the pornographic age this is the age where we have a, a bunch of cultural prostitutes who, who think it's their job to go around and be a penis measuring tool For all the men and the discussion amongst themselves because they're totally totally starkly clearly rational and their their lifestyle choice is totally sane and and efficacious right because they they now just squat and and sit on every dick that they can find and they get to go back later and talk about how big it was because they're a dick measuring tool and they know they know what dick sizes are they know which ones are real big or real little and and that's something that is the, that's the, the providence of a wicked and adulterous generation reduces men to uh, circular millimeters, right? So let's go on here. We have this fascinating here, a little introduction here to the Infowars war room. I like to listen to Owen Schroer. I really think he's trying to do his level best to cope with a maddening and ever-changing world where the playing field is tilted to such an extreme that we're we're just like scaling the face of Mount Everest trying to stay on the uh, game board here and we have to discuss more about how the wicked and treacherous system of national emergency war powers which is the excuse for everything they do in Washington DC emergency war powers for banking emergencies emergency war powers for virus emergencies emergency war powers for for whatever it takes to keep the emergency war powers rolling. Okay, we can't, we can't shut them down. We can't roll up the executive orders of the presidency, right? We can't shut that down, get back to a de jure constitutional government. We can't do it. Got all these Article One weird statute courts running around. Magistrate courts, all this crap that we all have to get put in handcuffs. Unconstitutional. It's time to wake up, at least know what's happening. And then, you know, if it's too scary for you. Like I said, this is the process of getting put into the natural state of fight or flight, which kind of goes together. You have to be able to fight and flight and then fight and flight again in order to, to, if you want to be a successful fighter, you need to know when it's time to flee. And having the ability to flee and have resources is about freedom and personal liberty. And if you want to keep that freedom and personal liberty into which you fled, you must fight. So you must have both. You must know what time it is. You must be put into the adrenaline state that's necessary for you to look around you and start to, to make the emergency decisions you need to make. So let's listen to Owen Troyer. I think he's asking the the right questions.
3: But what is the real story? Why are they digging around Trump's house for almost 10 hours? Why are they going through Melania Trump's wardrobe? Why are they taking uh, kitchenette napkin sets? Why are they busting into safes uh, like their MacGyver when they're completely empty? Why didn't they ask for cooperation with Donald Trump or his lawyers? Why didn't they give him the search warrant? Why didn't they let the lawyers oversee what was going on? There's another story here, folks. There really is another story. And, and I don't even want to jump to any conclusions. But I think there's some there's some things that jump out to you. Let's recall that Barack Obama spied on Donald Trump for two years and that even when Donald Trump became president they were sending in spies with microphones on them that was uh, the idea so don't forget that they've already spied on Donald Trump and they've already tried to frame him for crimes he never committed does history repeat itself? Are Democrats corrupt? So I would say the real story here is this is the FBI spying on Donald Trump. And this is the FBI trying to set Donald Trump up with a crime. Because they've already done it. Now they're just doing it again. Just like before he ran for president in 2016. So really, I think it's just the FBI using their same tactics, just with a different approach, a different flavor. Now, who's making the calls? Whose decisions are, are are to go and spy on Donald Trump again or to go try to frame him with a crime and then just go dig through Mar-a-Lago till you can find anything or plant anything? Well, that's a good question. We don't have many answers to. All we know about is a judge who worked with Jeffrey Epstein and was a Barack Obama donor and a Democrat appointee. Now, Here's what's wilder about this situation, as these developments are coming in last night. The judge, so Donald Trump has a lawsuit in Florida right now against Hillary Clinton and the Clinton campaign and all the people that tried to frame him with false evidence. Doesn't get much coverage for obvious reasons, but Donald Trump sued them. That is an ongoing case in Florida. Judge Reinold believe that was the guy's name, the, the Obama donor judge, the Epstein judge. He had that case on his desk. But you know what he did? He recused himself. He recused himself from the Donald Trump-Hillary Clinton lawsuit because of bias. So why would he be the one then to sign the warrant to go in and raid Trump's Mar-a-Lago house, and then they're there for almost an entire day. Little weird there, isn't it? Little weird there. Now yesterday I came on and talked about how we have to steer the narrative on civil war because otherwise the left is going to do it. So I saw the top trend, one of the top trends and top search items after Trump's raid, the FBI raiding Trump, was civil war. And there was a bunch of back and forth about that. And I said, we need to avoid that. We're not violent. We're peaceful people. We want to take back the country politically because I see where this is going. But it's important to understand They want to control the narrative on Civil War, just like they try to control the narrative about everything else, so they can project what they're doing onto us. We have to not allow that to happen. So this was the headline at the Huffington Post. So I'm just trying to get ahead of where they're going to take this. MAGA World Wants War After FBI Raid on Trump's Mar-a-Lago. That's the Huffington Post saying that. So see, they're the ones now pointing the finger at conservatives again, saying, you're the violent ones, you're the bad guy. When we all know that that's Democrats, that's liberals. They're the bad guys. They're the ones. And so so here's the understanding we have to have. They want to push us into a civil war because these are psychotic individuals that really are just looking for a fight. That's what they're looking for. It's the bully in the classroom that keeps flicking the back of your ear just to try to get a response out of you. And then when you respond, he points the finger and says, he did it, teacher, he did it. That's, that's the energy that the liberal left has right now on this issue. They want to flick your ear, flick your ear, flick your, flick your ear, and then when you finally respond, say, look, what he's done, he's bad, and, and tell on the teacher to, uh, about you. So that's what they're doing. The truth of the matter is the Democrats have already started war against this country. Joe Biden has already launched a war against this country via their own words. When Vladimir Putin shuts off pipelines Democrats go on TV and say that's an act of war So when Joe Biden shuts off pipelines That's an act of war too Against the American people Raising our taxes, spying on us but, but that's just what they're doing Administratively As a war against the people Democrats are actually They're actually killing their political opposition They're murdering their political opposition They did it on January 6th They did it in Portland, they did it in Denver They've done it in Seattle They tried to kill Rand Paul. They tried to kill Brett Kavanaugh. So the Democrats are already killing their enemy. The Democrats already have political prisoners. Look at all the January 6th defendants just sitting in jail without even a trial. So the Democrats already have political prisoners. The Democrats are politically persecuting their opposition, spying on their opposition, attacking their opposition with the weaponized government. So those are all acts of war. So I'm not going to sit here And have liberals and Democrats point the finger at us and say, you're starting a war. No. You are trying to start a war. You're the ones committing acts of war. You're the ones killing your political opposition. You're the ones imprisoning your political opposition. You're the ones spying on your political opposition. You're the ones false flagging your political opposition, like Jussie Smollett. You. You're the ones shutting off our energy. You're the ones causing our consumer price index to go up. Not us. Having said that, we still don't want a war with you. We don't want to go there. We're not pushing for war. We'd like some justice. We'd like to have fair elections. But no, we don't want to fight you. We don't want to get into a fight with you. That's not us. That's you. Stop sitting here pointing the the finger at conservatives and Republicans and Trump supporters saying we want civil war. No, we don't. But you are pushing Americans to the brink of total desperation.
0: So it's a great time to drop in this uh, moment with our sponsor here. We have our wonderful, outstanding sponsor, Wendy's Boutique Limited. And, of course, wendyslimited.com, and we try to take every chance we get to tell you guys that if you have a beloved wife or sister or loved one or a female relative in your family or you need to get a trusted store an online outlet for the hottest couture uh, styles and brand name fashions, hottest designer labels, uh, wendyslimited.com. So Wendy's Boutique Limited started in 2019 and it is on its way to becoming the, the, the supreme internet boutique outlet, the best value luxury outlet online Wendy's Boutique Limited so that's wendyslimited.com just pop in there and try out we have available there plenty of gifts for every occasion all kinds of women's apparel for winter and all the different seasons full time get jackets sweaters things for this uh, winter season so check in there all, all your uh, gift deeds are, are taken care of there wendyslimited.com so we thank you for supporting us and if you the syllabus journal entry and the book club here and you love coming into the looking glass forum then of course check out wendy's limited.com show your love show your support and um, best fashion online uh, best boutique online fashion store there wendy's limited.com so once again thank you for your support
3: And it's one thing for you Democrats to push people to the brink of desperation just in the cities that you run. That's where we see the highest crime rates, highest poverty rates. There's a link there. They're all run by Democrats. So just like they push people to the point of desperation in the cities that they run so that they get overwhelmed by crime and poverty, they're trying to do that with the whole country to elicit a response. But no, we don't want a war with you. We're not fighting you. We're not burning buildings to the ground. We're not assassinating or killing our political opposition. That's you guys. So how dare you at the Huffington Post and the rest of you lying liberals out there, how dare you accuse us of wanting a war? You are the ones that want a war. You are the ones that are picking a fight. You are the ones engaging in active war acts of war against this country. When you burn cities to the ground, attack police officers, burn federal buildings, kill your political opposition, imprison your political opposition, persecute your political opposition, shut off our energy, you are the ones committing acts of war. We're begging you stop. We're begging you to stop this. Yes,
0: yeah, so we're carrying on here as we do, and um, we can see that we're really kind of dropping the hammer here a little bit, as the American people, we have to get together. We have to work hard to make sure that we're good to our neighbors. We follow the law and we, we carry on the the immutable characteristics of our forefathers and the way that we were raised and, you know, we, we all have our tough times, but we have to come back to the, 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 social, the, the social mores and the and framing of our family relationships that help us to carry on as a, as a, such a successful society having only you know 350 million 400 million people in America we are the the world's mightiest military and economic superpower because of our principles and our beliefs and our and our standards and our fight for freedom and that's supposed to be what the american flag stands for it's supposed to be what is underpinning our right to arbitrate in the affairs of other countries. And so as we lose that moral standing and we lose our principles and we introduce transgender perversion to our military and we enforce wall street and our corporations to have these, these equity and social governance scores, they try to impose a total world empire. On the rest of us, we have to begin to look under the into the background reality of the different features of the components that have been built up to bring a collapse of Western civilization and the with the Westphalian nation state the, the the idea that the idea that nations have their their own, their own ability to self govern and they're not under the, the auspices of nobility and princes and we went from the Bagna Carta and we to and the Fourth of July in fifteen fourteen, when Luther repudiated the supposed supremacy of the papacy, just during the Magna Carta, when the the noblemen repudiated the king's absolute right to reign, you know, to keep his foot on their neck, and and they have a, 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 the right to have a vote. And ultimately, that's what we're seeing here in the Fourth of July and in, in the the Declaration of Independence from the divine right of kings that we as an American people have the right to take our own lives and our own fortune and our destiny into our own hands. And it shouldn't be such a radical concept, but it always has been America and our declaration of independence and our fight for a revolutionary liberty from King George and from the the United Kingdom over there and to have our own thing. And of course it's been a process of bringing the American people back into bondage through economic means, even though a military Expensive military foray of conquest was unsustainable. The process of bringing us back into compounding fractional reserve, debt interest, banking, blah, 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 fiat currency. So that those are the other mechanisms. And as we go forward here, we're going to listen to our next clip. And we have just the disclosure of how deeply entrenched other espionage agencies, which not, not all the countries have them successfully, like the CIA, but, of course, the UK, they have their, their MI5 and their MI6 espionage branches that they use, of course. And we have to look now, as we're as the American people are beginning to become subsumed by this build back better, this, glo- this global political phalanx that's it's kind of overtaking the world, having systematically and technotronically removed Trump out of the way, just as George Soros said that he regarded Trump is a temporary phenomenon. And of course, it's just that the process, as we said before, of the the secret treaty of the powers of, of imperialism and of nobility to bring this spasm of human revolt against their supremacy, right? The, the urge towards the new world to, to have Republican governments, to have democracy, where people vote and choose their, like, you know, they're supposed to have in Brazil, these democratic strongholds are falling one by one. And they're being, through color revolutions and through the manipulation of the CIA, they're being enfolded into this system of progressive leftism that toes the line of the World Economic Forum. They're just corrupt. They take the payouts. They're going to put Lula back in Brazil, for instance. They're going to take Carrie Lake out and put in, install the other one. What's her name? The coward who comes out and squeaks with a cowardly voice when she talks. The, the fake, unelected, fraudulent opponent of Carrie Lake in Arizona. They're going to put put that one in. They're going to continue to systematically break it. Trump can run, but I don't know how how we're going to be able to count on the process of counting votes to ensure that he has a victory like we were saying before we have to go and just harvest ballots guys if they go in and stuff a thousand we got to go stuff in ten thousand. Ten thousand per person all of us get ten thousand uh, ballots uh so copy them i don't know what they do let's just re- copy what they're doing do it better you know that's what uh dr gorka was saying right so you're gonna listen you go listen to what the people are saying so as we're going forward here we have to take a look at this fascinating geopolitics and empire episode just kind of zoom in there and take a look at what they're discussing. And the guy has had some time on his hands to do his homework. And he's looked into it for us being over there towards the, uh, the the European union area. You know, people have, uh, you know, they can't stop information guys. They can't stop it. You can fool some of the people all the time and all the people, some of the time, but you can't fool everyone all the time. And that's what we have to, we have to be that awakening force in ourselves in our families in our communities. And we have to be willing to take a look at everything that, is happening. And whenever we meet that information that we have that dissonance, right? That cognitive dissonance and just it just doesn't sound right. Not not every absurd thing, but when we find that place in ourselves where we can no longer really level with the different information that we're, we're gathering, that we need to go ahead and just break it down. So in this, we're going to see here that the connections with the World Economic Forum and Klaus Schwab, who has done a good job of just infiltrating it's just how, just the same mechanisms that the Illuminati use—they're the same old patterns, same old places, Davos, Ingolstadt, right? They're just the same power centers that are citadels, far out of the reach of common folks like you and me, right? They can fly in, just how they can fly into Dubai and have a global governance conference, and they don't care what you think because they're going to engineer famine and they're going to, you know, develop plague and they're going to develop the instruments of Malthus of course just another economist from serving the British empire right and disease and plague and poverty and death and famine and all those things are useful tools for the empire to control population so we have to look at the hard truth said the raven at nevermore over here we had to we have to just look at the difficult information coming in so we know how to process going forward we cannot just be like the lemmings and just go over the edge and run with the crowd just to stampede off and in one direction just to stay in the herd we have to find out what is really going on and realize that why they had to so radically alter the plans that were going when, when you know trump they had, to, they had to just steal the election it's, just, it's become an unalterable immutable fact of life that just etched in stone the evidence is there and uh, the same thing occurred here. And as the, the American people are now having to, as a corporate body, decide how to react and how to deal with it. And just going to pitchforks and torches is the same thing we just witnessed with, with BLM, right? And BLM, of course, was a weapon targeted against the black community because it was the worst, it, had, it was the worst intentions in mind for them. And to just for, for ra- radical communists, ca- campus students right? It's always the university students. That's what sort of the Illuminati was started in Ingolstadt University back in the 1700s. And so in these radical, this is where the, the ideology becomes pervasive and becomes a ubiquitous a, a mind control of these, these young young people and they go completely radical, like the antifa, They have a lot of energy. and they're idealists, and they're taken in by every sophistry and casuistry that comes along. And you get these guys out there and they're throwing Molokov cocktails or tailing down Confederate statues, doing all this stuff. And, of course, the leftists, the Democrats, are the are the Confederates. So these are people that are just being rabble-roused to destroy history that's inconvenient for the left now. It's, it's, so it's a bizarre situation. You really have in the background the Invisible Committee. We, we showed you the book, The Coming Insurrection. And you know that these, these, these Obama worshipers... They're, they're really, they're radicals and they're, they're in this cult of personality and they're going to, you know, to them, that's the real president. And, you know, I, I don't, if Trump is going to run, I don't see why Obama's not going to run also. And so we're going to have this huge showdown that's going to have this racial connotation and the racial connotation goes back to, again, like we said before, if you have to know your, your nuances that were, you know, since we're going back to 1947, you have to understand the King Alfred plan. And Rex eighty four, and how they go together. The Kig Alfred plan was a secret plan to cause an uprising that would be virtually racially based, but it would be just centered in inner city communities where black people were at. You know, poor black people who are there, there might be communities that have crime and drug problems, and to cause the circumstances for there to be an uprising in those inner cities and those uprisings in the killed out king alfred plan would cause executive orders to roll into place defcon 3 right norad would come online and you would have this reaction from the, the the militarized police state to come and start rounding up black people and this is an old conspiracy theory of, of an exposed secret intelligence community deep state plan to use unrest in the black communities to cause military government to kick on and to call as a martial law right so that was the king alfred plan no and of course back in the, the 90s when these things were kind of traded about and these ideas were they were kind of like fever dreams they were kind of like frothy mouth aluminum hat kind of concepts but as we see these plans come into fruition and develop we can see that they're not madness at all but they're just simply the mechanisms by which the oligarchy the internationalist system of power that where where you have the you know the city of London where the banks are centered and Frankfurt and of course the in Vienna you know the power centers of the nobility and those who still hold on to the ultramontane concepts of the divine right of kings because the pope touched my shoulder I'm the king and you all have your heads removed and you know off with their heads for everyone you know and so that's that's the kind of games that the Jesuits and the the, the Catholics the, the Romanists play when they when it comes to politics. That's what they did during the, the Bartholomew Day Massacre, and, and on and on and on and on. Okay, guys, it's just it's just the, the entire scope of history is recorded for the purpose of making this point. That the Roman civil king is the pope. He's not just a, a Sunday school teacher. He is a civil king under the law. Just like the king of England is a civil king under the law. So so is the pope, a civil king under the law. And yet ha- they have a jail, right? They have police. They have... There's, there's Jouave soldiers marching about, and they're there to protect the supremacy of the throne of Saint Peter, yada yada. And of course, I think that they they have the wrong Simon Peter. I think that they have that's the throne of Simon Magus, where you get this idea of simony, this uh, this idea of going in to buy the the office of a christian bishop or christian pastor to buy into it and to to somehow to get the spiritual gift of the holy spirit by by money and the real peter cursed the false peter or the false simon the simon magus who is really the actual the rock upon which the vatican and which the entire roman catholic religio-cultic syncretistic pagan ritualism is really based on it's based on Babylon and, and Egypt, so you know, we go on and on. So, in order to really make the point here, we have to digress again back to the point here that we're making that the CIA was, of course, going to come into place in 1947, and you're going to see the impetus of all these Klaus Schwabs and Henry Kissinger's and Zbyszczynski, Zvibris- Zv- Zv- Zvigris- with that one guy. You know, Mika's dad Of course he was a knight of Malta right they're all servants of the aristocracy and, and the nobility who are the, the low lords of the higher lords at the higher table right the high table so this nobility just as the mafia did brought bringing in the Italian nobility and enforcing their law we call it organized crime but they, they called it the prince giving his lieutenants and his knights commands that's how the old medieval world of uh princes and kings operates that's how nobility works it's so strange for the freemen in america to, to to be bewitched and to be confused and to be taken in by these mass they're, they're far from crimes They're foreign sovereigns that's what the pope is he's a foreign sovereign and all these worshipers of the pope are really bowing to the king of a foreign state so you know we don't need betrayal and espionage from a foreign leader right we don't need kim jong-un to have his secret spies here and we don't need the pope to have his secret spies here either he's a foreign potentate he's not just a choir boy right that's weird the rome they always like their choir boys it's just it's kind of they're grody right that's where all that like pederasty and child pedophile shit came from Came from them. They've been around for, for thousands of years. We're just, we're just new. We're all, we're all just even, even the France. We're all just new, new civilizations compared to what they've been doing over there in Rome. So as we go on here, let's go take a look here at this fascinating discussion here. Ved, Mr. Vedmore gets into it, and he's going to just drop the bomb and just peel back the layers and show us the information we need to understand this relationship between the influence. Right at this time in 1947 and 1948, when the, the, the nation of Israel is going to kick into play and they're going to have their, their war and they're going to take their, their territory and they're going to establish the nation of Israel. So there's a big change in the, the power elite, right? So this, all this stuff ties in. You had the, over there, you had the, the secret lodge, the P2 propaganda duo exposure. There was the, the secret Freemason lodge that all the, the Vatican uh, princes and all the um, cardinals were all involved with. It was a black lodge. In other words, no one knew about it. It was off the books. But you had to be in the, the secret society uh, circuit in order to know you, know, you know, to kind of get to br- brush elbows and to find out about it. That, ex- that thing exploded. The P2 Lodge scandal was tied to the Vatican Bank scandal, right? So we, we did episodes on this, and this is all happening in the backdrop. The Pope is going to be murdered in 33 days because he's going to expose all this. So it reminds us of, you know, it brings us back to Clement the Thirteenth and Clement the Fourteenth, other popes who were murdered or nearly murdered. Among among many, I'm sure. So Pope John Paul I, just the, one of many popes to to be murdered in in for, because they they cannot allow an actual true apostolate figure, a truly unbiased and uncorrupted pastor, a true Christian man, if you will, in the person of John Paul I, who had, who would actually have a real conscience and a real sense of Christian charity, couldn't allow him to live, couldn't allow him to go in there and, and uh, become the Pope, guys. 33 days, dead. John Calvey is going to be found under, the. you know, they're going to hunt him down, and they're going to put another guy in there. Another guy who's going to be, and they're going to have to put John Paul II in there, and he's going to be the, uh, the Cold War darling. A pole in there, and they're going to call him John Paul II because, of course, they have to hide the, the murder of John Paul I and just sweep that under the rug. So, we got to have our new John Paul. And so, yeah, the papacy is in its long epic of tradition or whatever has been just smeared with this, this new infighting and in the political regime there in the background there in 1947, 1948. And at this time, of course, the, the plans to establish the World Economic Forum and to get going with, with Rockefeller. And the establishment of the United Nations, the establishment of the World Bank, the establishment of UNESCO, the establishment of all these, the Bank of International Settlements, the World Health Organization, on and on and on. The, the, the pillars and the outer structure of the New World Order is going to be put into place at this time. So I have this geopolitics and empire episode queued up here with Johnny Vedmore, And I just would offer two instant and quick little caveats into the discussion. And one is that at that time in 1947 and 1948, in that period when the CIA is going to be created, the nascent state of Israel is being created through uh, the, their victorious battle there in the region of Galilee there in the Judean area. Also at that time, something a phenomenon is going to occur of the Roswell incident. And this is going to be the supposed intelligence agency and government cover-up of a secret UFO, UFO crashing in, in Roswell. So, of course, when we look at our, you know, our great circle, ley line alignments, we can see that Roswell lines up in there. And we go back to our, our David Flynn episodes, we can see why that that is significant at this time. And you can see, despite whether people... You know What they think about the phenomenology of UFOs and the, the Roswell incident, whether it was just something to a created government psychological operation in order to get people to be distracted from politics on the ground and have, be looking up in the heavens and at the stars. And, of course, this whole display of uh, society of Martians on Mars and this H.G. Wells War of the Worlds panic and just this whole concept of aliens from far away and then of course as decades would go by we would be introduced to this idea that you know, humans are going to go to the moon and they're going to you know have this moon landing of something that apparently they could not duplicate again and of course are saying that they didn't land on the moon at all it was just a space race to humiliate the soviets and to make it appear with stanley kubrick uh, the, as the filming agent and others, and Donald Rumsfeld, you know, when he was a younger man, were all involved in creating this idea of a moon landing, and it's really du- dubious now. And it's a question whether anybody actually went to the moon because if it was so easy to do, why can't they do it now, right? right. And of course, China is gearing up to do it, and if they can get up there and show that there's no flag, you know, maybe you know, so it becomes a a process of info wars and propaganda conflict between nations and, and and power centers and the other aspect of this is he's going to introduce the introduction of mi5 and british intelligence as it's kind of coming on online in in the americas and it's it's on the back of the skull and bones operations out of yale and it's also penetrating uh different fields of economics and geopolitics, and you can see that happening with the Council on Foreign Relations, and you can also see it happening with the the Chatham House connections when it it comes to um, the Hoover administration and and Edward Mandel House and the the introduction of this deep state cabal that's going to develop the Pentagon, develop the, the Central Intelligence Agency here. And lately we can see the introduction of this whole Concept in our modern politics when you when it comes to Christopher Steele and his manipulation of the FISA courts and of course using the FBI as just a, a cutout for the MI6 operations. So the FBI and, and all these, you know, you can see that as the, the central, the the intelligence community and the clandestine operations are slowly, but gradually and surely, being turned as weapons against the American people. So let's listen to this fascinating interview and has uh,
4: uncovered some really fantastically new information. Um, And the first two pieces, I had so much joy with finding loads of stuff uh, that no one knew about or had been hidden in the shadows that I knew this one was going to be brilliant to research. It's going to be so fun to research. And I never expected quite how... uh, Once you know all of the information, then you're looking at one long line. And really, one long line the creation of American intelligence agencies to the Young Global Leaders program itself, because the Young Global Leaders program, as you will hopefully, as I will hopefully be able to explain uh, to you and your audience, is like a continuation of a program that really has its birth in Harvard uh, under uh, uh, William Yandel Elliot, um, the mentor, uh, the at least the Harvard Government School of Government mentor of Henry Kissinger job and International seminar, and that it really was um, a template for what the Young Global Leaders project will be eventually. But there's more. There's more. There's so much more because what you'll be able to see is that the people who were funded, the people who approved in 1967, Harvard were forced to re- um, uh, release a report, uh, and they were trying to uh, beat. The, the, there was two newspapers. I can't remember what the first newspaper was, and I haven't been able to actually find the article uh, in any. Article. Archives for, for this, but uh, one newspaper at the time was about to out the fact that the CIA had funded certain programs in, uh, the, Har- in the Harvard Summer School. And uh, the New York Times also had that story and uh, printed it first and got it out there first and uh, showed that Kissinger's um, International Seminar, which had run from 1950 uh, and was still running in 1967, had been. It, for the years between 1960 and 1966, uh, funded by three organizations in particular, which were foundations, which were CIA conduits. They were made up by the CIA. Uh, the members of the CIA were actually on board with it. There was a lot of organizations, as we'll also learn, um, that were were during this time to kind of uh, start the countering Soviet narratives and to start encouraging Western uh, or American-aligned thinking within the rest of the world uh, by implanting certain people who who, uh, the West would train through organizations that they would make up um, and this this was playing catch up to the Soviets who in 1919 with Willy Munzenberg had um, uh, started Comintern and the first sort of like communist youth program that was spread propaganda by the end of the war the West had to do roughly the same thing and remember wartime it was the OSS was created this uh, special like precursor to um, the CIA um, and uh, William Dar- Bonavan headed it up and recruited some really key members, people like Kermit Roosevelt, who is going to come up in this story, because Kermit Roosevelt is one of the most important people in the history of American intelligence. Um, there, there is a man who's done some great work on this, a, a, a completely and utterly um, astounding work who I'll talk about as well um, later. But, but th- this was... The war was a really interesting time for intelligence, of course. All of these guys after the war had a load of loose ends, and they had nothing to do, and they were all uh, realizing that the Soviet threat was coming, so it was time to reorganize and and, um, re-coordinate. And really, the British and the Americans, even though they were on the same side, sometimes weren't working together. They were very independent in their intelligence methods. And what you find during that time and I'm doing a lot of research on articles now about this, is that... um Things like British intelligence agencies were trying to encourage the actions of American intelligence agencies uh, by committing certain actions or laying out fake propaganda. Uh, there, there's a case in Spain where they had planned out um, uh, to find a Nazi hanging out with him a map in a briefcase attached to his arm, uh, so that the, 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 the uh, Spanish could find it and they could go back and they'd tell information. You know, there's lots of little games during the war that was really fun that they enjoyed playing and they took those games outside into the normal world uh, after the war and it was about it turned into course east versus west the cold war and for that they needed to create a new organization Uh, after the OSS that was much more uh, suited for a long-term battle, ideological battle and secret war. Uh, That was the CIA, which was created in 1947. And Some of the people who were behind the creation were some of the people who funded this course that, Wood training Klaus Schwab, Kissinger's International Seminar, um, and this is what's really interesting. now Kermit Roosevelt was one of the men who was uh, brought on you don't already know, you know SS, and he was brought on into the CIA. <coughs> Kermit Roosevelt was the grandson of Theodore Roosevelt, the president from the turn of the century. Um, his father was also called Kermit Roosevelt. during the war committed suicide uh, in Alaska. He was he was a very troubled man. I don't quite know what was going on with his father. But Kermit Roosevelt Jr. was a very keen intellect. He was very interested in the Middle East, especially. He had travelled extensively from the time when he was uh, very young with his uh, f- uh, with his father, um, and he knew a lot about the world. He knew how it worked and what happened uh, in after World War um, Two. Of course, is you had 1947 wasn't only really the creation of CIA, but it was also uh, around the time of the Nakba and the incursions into Palestine and the creation of the state of Israel. Now, what loads of people don't know, and what I really didn't know when I started off on this journey, is that loads of the people who started out in the CIA, loads of the people advising all of these um, different organisations, and loads of people pushing the direction of this newly formed central intelligence agencies, were all anti-Zionists. They were nearly all exclusive. They all, uh, one of the people who is in Kermit Roosevelt's um, circle of, of friends is a, a journalist, the first woman to be expelled from Nazi Germany in 1934, the first journalist. Uh, she was a woman called Dorothy Thompson, really strong. When you watch her videos, you get, ooh, you, she's like really strong teacher
0: type. Um so we'll just give it a pause there, and we point out that a lot of this anti-Zionism that he's talking about that's going to be introduced into the CIA is pretty simple, because the the Soviets after World War II and the OSS, or the, the pre-CIA, were running around trying to collect as many Nazis as they could possibly, and scientists, and Nazi defectors, and Third Reich High Commanders they could possibly find in order to introduce them and bring them to the United States, to introduce them into the CIA, to have them work for the American government. So, of course, you're going to have this underpinning ideological introduction of anti-Zionist and anti-Semitic views into the CIA when they're introducing the fleeing Nazis into the CIA, right? So, the Reinhard Gellin Organization, the the Routlines, and, and the Gellin, uh, the Gellin Network was a spy network. Um, there was a Nazi spy network that the CIA just took over and, and took control of. Uh, so I call it what you want, uh, but it, it shouldn't be surprising. It's obvious on its face that you're going to have anti Zionist uh, actors and ideology within the CIA if you're going to introduce uh, Third Reich and uh, Nazi doctors into the, the American intelligence bloodstream. 1947, the
4: creation of the CIA. Uh, Dorothy Thompson said that the um, uh, state, creation of the State of Israel and the, the, the pushing out of all of these Palestinians into other lands would cause perpetual war, it would be something that would, would go on forever it was a recipe for perpetual war and that's what the CIA found that they wanted, they wanted that they wanted to be able to, to, to uh, make regions unstable and for the big power of America daddy to come in and say we can help you with your troubles um, and this is what they were trying to form so they formed this unit called the CIA which was going to go out and do some of that because by the 50s as Kissinger started up his the pilot of his international seminar just as he's leaving Harvard himself in 1950, they straight. They got him straight on. He's written one of the biggest dissertations in Harvard's history uh, that he's being lauded by everybody around and he gets put in charge of, of this international seminar created by William Yandel Elliott um, and he's recruited soon by the CFR as well at the same uh, time to war game out uh, nuclear threat and etc. Um, Kissinger's being lifted into a role, and at the same time, uh, in 1952 and 1953, the CIA are enacting their first coups in the Middle East. So the first coup uh, that happened was in Egypt. Um, we we talked slightly about it just. The funny fact: the name's called Operation FF, which stood for uh, Fat Fuck, I believe. Um, and it was basically aimed at getting out King Farouk, who was in charge. They tried to negotiate with him a little bit, saying, "This is what we want." He wasn't having any of it, so they were like, "Okay, we'll commit." Who they got NASA and the Free Officers Movement in Egypt to basically remove him. They were planning on a revolution anyway, um, and had lots of backing anyway. So uh, the King Farouk went off to and, and it went me to exile in Italy. I think he eventually died in Italy, but he never got back in charge. The CIA led this operation; was led and planned by Kermit Roosevelt, alongside Alan Dulles and others. But a lot, Kermit Roosevelt was this really important character. He had designed and created the first coup, and it was so, so, so successful that up in the State Department, John uh, Foster Dulles um, was was saying, "Well, we're going to have to, uh, we're going to have to do another one of these next year, are not we?" Um, We'll give you the equivalent of $12 million, I think it is, in today's money, so about $1 million at the time, in funds to overthrow Mohammed Mark in Iran, um, and who was going to design that and lead that project, but the person who had designed and led the other project, Kermit Roosevelt. They come in,
5: and they do a coup I, in Iran. Yeah, I just wanted to add, because uh, when I was teaching university, international relations in Mexico, um, I would actually assign students... Because they don't like to read, but I would make them read the primary source documents of it. TP Ajax, Operation Ajax of the overthrow of Iran um, in 53, most day. And yeah, just as you laid out, President Roosevelt was involved. It was the CIA, MI6. Uh, and then 53 and then 54 was Guatemala. I forget the name of that. I don't know if it was like uh, Operation Peanut Butter or PB, I think. Uh, uh, PB, but I, I never went as far, I guess... Uh, I didn't know about Egypt and, uh, and Operation FF. So it's like you—you you can trace it, as you said, 52, 53, 54, and I think an important point you make, uh, you say that the Americans were soon to learn that if they were to continue to overthrow governments, they would first need to have effective American-aligned leaders already trained up and and ready. And then you you go on to talk about in your article the American friends of the uh, Middle East that you can trace from from where you're looking at now all the way to today. That's like the beginning of the construction of the color revolution framework, which we're still seeing to an extent uh, today. And it's, yes. it's essentially a globalist project. The CIA is a globalist thing. It's like doing the globalist dirty work to try and take over all of the nations and bring everyone into this one big Kumbaya happy uh, family. <laughs> yeah, I got a Kumbaya happy family I do not believe uh,
4: fully exists. Yes, this is such an important moment because this is you could see you could see the line and there's two lines there as well by this point, because you could see things like Harvard uh, summer school running Kissinger's International Seminar as getting ready to train the young global leaders of the future and this is what they would do. It would be planned. Now we know the funding that happened between nineteen sixty 1960 and nineteen sixty six because of the Humphrey Dorman report in nineteen sixty seven that got released, which is uh was to preempt these newspaper articles I mentioned earlier, we're going to release. We know that the 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 three people who were funding them at that point were American Friends of the Middle East, uh, the Farfield Foundation, and the Asian Foundation. But the, the other two foundations extremely interesting. Farfield kind of looks more like it, it, it concentrated on famous people and trying to attract famous people to attract young to to uh, incite imagination about the wonders of American supremacy. In the mind of the young, um, but but the these, uh, the American Friends of the Middle East was a very special pro, uh, project. One thing we don't know is the funding between 1950 and 1960. They never released that information. So the likelihood is a lot of money was put into this. A lot of money was put into this, and it was too much to advertise. So they only advertised the uh, one million or so that funded uh, Kissinger's international seminar between here and here between 1960 and 1966. But they were very important years. Now I found um, uh, a uh, advert in the La Hore Military Gazette uh, from 1957. It's actually, there's one in 1957, 1958, and 1959, advertising Henry Kissinger's international seminar and looking for the best possible candidates you can find anywhere else in the world, anywhere around... Um, and they've got to be the best and everything will be paid for them all of their travel expenses, all of their accommodation, all of it, if they could prove to be the best, could put the best candidates forward, then they will have everything paid for and they will come, so they were they were even looking at places like Pakistan which I think will come up in a later article for me, personally um, Pakistan's situation is extremely interesting, again 1947, a lot happens in 1947 uh, and, and the, you, you can't underestimate the creation of the CIA was like an explosion of activity all around the world, and they needed they needed those young global leaders to put in to power because what they found out was. Three four years after they had done the coup operation fat fuck in Egypt, what did you have? Well, you had NASA aligning with Soviet uh, sort of leading people here and there, and and, and, and putting out like like and buying. I think they bought some arms, some missiles, something like that, a project with the Soviets. And of course, th- that's the worst fear. So the what what they were were doing because what the all of most the majority. This is there's there's lots of different things that were going on at the time, but one of the most important things for them were making sure that they were counteracting potential Soviet infiltration into hearts and minds. And the most of the world saw America as this soulless beast. So they were starting from scratch and they were having to try their best to, uh, get people on site and, uh, vehicles like the American friends of the Middle East were very important. Now it was set up by Kermit Roosevelt, uh, Virginia Gildersleeve, Harry Fostick, Harry Fostick, extremely interested man, became the, one of the mentors of Martin Luther King of all people. Um, uh, and 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 many others, and Dorothy Thompson. Twenty-seven people uh, founded this organisation, and they were very active in trying to sway opinion on the ground. But through the whole time, forties, they they and the fifties and the sixties, up until nineteen sixty-seven, another really important year, um, they they are trying to. And everything was done in the back rooms and you didn't have as much fear about this because this was East versus West. At some point, the nukes were going to fly and everybody was going to die. Um, so so that's that point. This uh, Kissinger's International Seminar had been born in this different place than it was going to eventually be in 1967 and I get a feeling that the, the Dorman reports and the reports in the newspaper were kind of like a self-destruct button on that uh, vehicle I'd say again that program so that they the kids Kirsten- should Go off and do some stuff, proper stuff in the White House. Uh, I concentrate on that stuff more than anything because this course dies off, of course, as soon as once everybody knows it's CIA funded, uh, it loses its charm. But still, people are sending uh, global leaders to, uh, future global leaders to Harvard, and they are being mentored by the same people, like, for instance, uh, Benazir Bhutto of Pakistan, who went to Harvard uh, in 1971, I think it was, Uh, her father, Zulfik uh, Ali Bhutto, had phoned John Kenneth Galbraith, uh, one of the mentors of Klaus Schwab, and said, hey, Hey, I need uh, my sixteen-year-old going to Harvard early. Um, and uh, years later, of course, he's leader. Years later, she's leader twice of Pakistan. It was, it was still, uh, it was still being, you know, the, these sort of places were still melting pots for future leaders, and that's what they were aiming to do, so they could get all of their ideology in every country. It was all about getting people who aligned with you in the right positions of power, and it became such an interesting Industry, they became so good at it that it got to the point where the World Economic Forum, or uh, well, in a sense it was the World Economic Forum, because I think, the world, I think they started calling themselves World Economic Forum in the 90s, but they, they, they uh, started with this idea of, okay, let's make this industrial, let's go a step on. Klaus Schwab, uh, I, I see it like this the 70s he created the, the organisation and he's bringing people in, he's convincing people why the project's good, he's t- showing people that globalism will work and they all get an ability to network and talk to each other, this big event in Davos so everybody gets a bit of pie here and there so it's constantly rewarded, constantly uh, get, bringing on more members, by the 80s they started to find out how can we keep control in the future once all of this technology and all of this other stuff happens, how can we, and it's not of people, I'm, I'm, I'm currently documenting this happening in loads of different ways in different areas too. this, I'm, I'm writing a piece about Bezos, um, which I've just nearly finished, and that looks about the same sort of direction of how they were building people, constructing these leaders of enterprise or politics, uh, which is what all of these programs were about. Henry Kissinger's International Center, Britain, Viking, uh, the World Economic Forum, eventually itself. So in the 80s, they were planning out, okay, how are we going to keep control? By the 90s, it's the fall of the Berlin Walls happened, communism is over, let's take this opportunity to try and infiltrate everything that is left that we couldn't quite get before. And since then, we've been living in this backwards and forwards on the edge of these areas where this battle is still going on, like Ukraine. we got this ideological backwards and forwards. Sometimes it's peaceful, sometimes it pretends not to be peaceful sometimes it's peaceful sometimes but that's not to be peaceful but that's currently the uh, the fake front line for the uh, like idea for, for the idea of the ideological battle between east and west but they kind of dropped all of the walls in the 90s everybody dropped it uh, Gorbachev. Uh, fucked it for all the Russians. <laughs> the Russians were suddenly exposed. And loads of them were like, well, we can make money now, can't we? You know, so straight in. in from, from, I found um, articles uh, which i have done in Newshound piece I'm doing uh, recently that show Klaus Schwab's first uh, mention in British and American newspapers. And he's talking about the threat to privacy and data uh, that computers have of government. And it, it mentions in there that the first... Forum was uh, put together by um, the uh, Institute for Business Management or the International Business Management Institute. Um, And it was the Forum was sponsored. The first ever World Economic Forum in Davos was going to be sponsored by this uh, group. And if you look at what they were doing at the time, they were uh, teaching, bringing the Russians over to Switzerland and teaching them capitalism. (laughs) So they're trying to infiltrate directly. It's not even like uh, a a Cloak and Thing it's like you've got newspaper articles saying uh, they're teaching communist capitalism and they love it you know you know they, they really selling this idea they backwards and forwards it's a pop ideological battle on every level it's happening in the dark and in the secret but it's also happening across the tv screens across the, in all of the movies and all the literature and all the newspapers it's an exciting time for everybody but by 1967 it, like the, the, it, it was over they kind of knew that and they were planning for the future from then so all of the beginning of the world economic forum was leading to this point where they then said, right, okay, we've got this organisation that now can create global rule. A rule um, that we've never seen before. A global world order. Lots of people say new world order. You you can't keep saying that because it's now an old new world order because it's already been installed. This is the global world order. We are here. We are in the now. And this global world order was going to start inserting, just like the CIA had done, training up young global leaders for the future and inserting them one by one into countries. But now they had, they had learned from the master. Uh, the, the head of the World Economic Forum, Klaus Schwab, had been trained for exactly the same template of the, 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 the uh, program that he would create uh, that in 1992 and 1993. And we should talk about this. It's really important. 1992 and 1993, you have the creation of the Global Leaders for Tomorrow program. And the first year, 1993, was crazy. It had uh, Tony Blair in Merkel, it had Sarkozy, it had uh, Bill Gates was there, um, Richard Branson, Bronfman, uh, uh, who's one of uh, the mega group, I believe, as well, Wexner's mega group. Um, it, it, they had some real scumbags in 1993. But even more interesting, I believe 1993 took place not in Davos, but in Ukraine. And there as well, I found it in multiple newspapers, but one in particular, one report that says that there was an alternative program created at the same time, and it was called uh, something along the lines as Young Russian Patriot uh, Program. And it was by the World Economic Forum, and I had three people who Russia put forward as potentials for this uh, leadership program uh, for Russians alone, only three, and one of them was Vladimir Putin. I've read a report from a, a fairly reasonably um, uh trustworthy source, i reasonably trustworthy, you have to check these things, and it names all three of them, I think all three of them are KGB agents um, Putin was one of the most revered and well-known KGB agents who had been working between East and West Berlin so everybody knew about it everybody knew, and he was one of the ones on it, now the, I am going to investigate that, and I'm sure other people are going to investigate that, and I think you sh- people should, because that really will show the sham, because now we, we we're in the, we're looking at the 90s one of the pictures inside uh, the most recent article the kiss and tricking one of the um, uh, pictures is them on an air Ukrainian air airline in 19 the- 1993 all talking with each other on the way to ukraine so they're taking uh their business over there to uh to to the world they're trying to break through that barrier that's what schwab was set up for by kissinger and by galbraith and by herman kahn to break down that wall because they knew what herman kahn said before they knew they could get america britain and europe together but they would have to then have the target set on the real ideological enemy, you could say, but basically they were becoming the same people with the same identity. I mean, you look at China now, you can hardly say it's a communist regime. It all looks very capitalist, it all looks very sparkly, and it all looks uh, just like like they've uh, taken part of this and part of this and swooshed it together. Um, and you you kind of lose the ideology in there. Now, 2004, the most important and interesting thing happens, because this start-off, this global. Leaders for Tomorrow program had been very successful, but it went on a smaller scale. It had been 200. Uh, the originally, uh, Henry Kissinger's international seminar was, was 50 people, 50 candidates from all around the world. This had been 200, so it's grown slightly since that time. Um, and by 2004, uh, it needed a complete revamp, an overhaul. They needed to make it something where it was industrial. They were going to be. Uh, they, they knew what they were doing now. They had over ten years of practice in it. And along come the Dan David Foundation with Kissinger, Henry Kissinger himself on the board to award a one million pound prize to Klaus Schwab. Uh, And Klaus Schwab, what does he do with that million pound prize? Well, he goes and straight, straightened. He sets up the Young Global Leaders Program, the Forum for Young Global Leaders. And there he is penetrating the cabinets you know it's become industrial if you see the list the massive list of thousands of names that are going through this program they've they've it's it's like uh, what we talked about conspiracy is has already conspired you know it's already happened it's no longer conspiracy uh, to think it's happening. It's long lists of names of people who are, and this is it, who are involved in a continuation of a CIA soft coup program, which is to bring down, uh, bring in line into a global order uh, every country on earth by implanting really important, uh, influential and powerful people within all of their politics, business um, uh, every single area of society um, and including intelligence so I think there's a lot of names when you see the lists of uh, young global leaders uh, what you discover uh, global, lead, uh, global leaders for tomorrow program uh, people who took part in them uh, what you've discovered is that some names don't have any um, uh, sort of business attached. No, they're not politicians, they're not a member of a party. I believe that there's also intelligence agents mixed up within this and uh, this is just a, it, it, this what well, we're looking at it in the wrong way. The World Economic Forum is the
5: global CIA. To add to that, um, uh, you wrote, you know, the fall of the Soviet Union soon became uh, the apparent catalyst for the creation uh, of the leader. So it's like uh, when they announced the end of history, it's like th- that was that last, how would you say, you know, going for the gold from the 90s uh, until today. And like I, I, it's kind of like you said, it's it's already happened. Um, uh, you also write, you conclude um, it, quote, it isn't the thousands of participants who have completed these programs who we should be most concerned about Our real concern. It should be with the billions, billions of Democratic voters who have been tricked into believing that any of the leaders produced by either Schwab or Kissinger have their best interest interests at heart, uh, end quote. And for example, you know, recently, uh, Canadian MP Pierre Polievre uh, is running for prime minister. He said, I will ban all my ministers from any involvement in the World Economic Forum, uh, end quote. But um, I, it almost feels like it's it's too late. Like they won't let him, this guy Pierre, get anywhere near to the um, becoming prime minister. I mean, what are your thoughts on you know how far is it like game over or you know what, what's your take on, on how the great reset is progressing? Do you- you know the 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 first the
4: first time that we uh, spoke about this, um, it was really intriguing because I, I I looked at kind of like how the leadership uh, Labour leadership candidate uh, Jeremy Corbyn had been treated during his time in office. How a lot of people who had uh, who had brought him down were young global leaders, and it's like that. It's like someone can go in with the best intentions into a system where they're going to just be clawed down into the swamp. Hey, they can walk in, go in. I'm not going to be clawed down into the swamp but they're going to get clawed down into the swamp you know you can say all you like but you're going to become part of it uh it is it is um it is a globalist network that is so it's all pervasive it's controlling every part of society and it's doing it with a limited number of people in the right places and it 's very clever about how these people uh, what I discovered is in in my all my research is that the majority of this comes from uh, game theory computer modeling um, they 're using other techniques behind closed doors to find out what to do before we have any sort of clue so the only way we can get anywhere close is by transparency and finding out what they 're doing behind closed doors um, and at the moment we 're just losing knowledge we're just we, uh, we have <laughs> (laughs) We have people all over the world who are so fed up of the situation that or the constant uh, uh, sentence i hear from the average person on the street when you talk about any of this is oh yeah but what can i do so i just don't do anything you know and i used to be i used to feel like that and i used to be like that and then i stopped being like that and now i do something and i try and get something out there and it seems to be that i'm successful because these people are weak as hell if i can do it Nearly anybody can do it, because these people are weak as hell. As soon as you get into them, as soon as you start hitting away at them, you you expose another hundred, another thousand people to their lies, to the hypocrisy, to all of that. And these guys seem to have something where... Eventually, we need to have so many people who say we're going to ban the World Economic Forum that uh, basically there's a war against Switzerland, where all of the <laughs> all of the world get together and say, okay, we've had enough. We're going to we're going to revolt. We're we're not going to aim at our own armies. We're going straight to Switzerland. Every member of the world, we're going to destroy Davos, the center of this, and we're going to ban globalist organizations all around the world, so that we can keep our cultures, so we can keep our nationalities intact, so we can keep our history from being uh, merged into some sort of like uh, fake fairy tale fantasy that they tell you, uh, to keep you doing a certain thing, because that's what this is partially all been about. The second article was looking at um, Herman Kahn and the 1967 uh, policy document out of the Hudson Institute which would look at exactly this, um, the future educational leads, uh, needs of young global leaders, of people uh, of people who are going to uh, be in charge in the future, they've got to be educated differently so that the rest of us don't know what we don't know, you know? that That's what they're after. They're after that. And that was, it was, it, don't people... Uh, Uh, No Rumsfeld for saying the whole, um, you don't know what you don't know, there's many unknowns and etc. All of that stuff. Uh, People say Rumsfeld did that first. Uh, It was actually Herman Kahn and Rumsfeld, who was at one point in awe of Herman Kahn, um, uh, took his words for that moment. So uh, it's really important to realise what's currently happening is a dumbing down of society that we can see around us. Uh, I, I I don't want to, you know, I, I, I don't want to get political, it's too fucking late for that. Uh, <laughs> the, listen, 10 years ago, anybody could tell you who, what a man and a w- or a woman was. They could tell you that a vaccine meant something where you took it and you didn't get infections, not that you take it and then you get infections. You know, the whole basis of reality is starting to crumble away because they've pushed that uh, different educational policy on the masses so much that there's big breaks in knowledge now and it's really starting to get warped and bizarre that can only last for a certain amount of time and I don't think they were able to factor
0: in any of this so for the sake of time we just have to kind of pull the cord right there but, of we'll, course, we'll have all the information provided, and you can see there that the with a little more information, it provides a lot more illumination and light for us to understand what's you know what the contours of history really look like. And as we're moving forward, we can see that many of the things we're dealing with now that we're frustrated by are not really new paradigms that we've never seen before, but they're just the current course of the conflict that we have to face as a, as a free people in order to maintain our sovereignty, in order to do the diligence that is required to withstand this kind of assault of our enemies against our institutions. And of course, as we're going forward, we'll get more into Bill Donovan, who was the Roman Catholic Knight of Malta, head of the CIA, along with Kermit Roosevelt here, who we're learning about, and many of the individuals who would be brought in immediately and who would continue to be at the Administrative level in the CIA would be, would continue to be members of Skull and Bones, and they tie in with this whole story. And we'll add some information, some articles in that we can look at in order to kind of express the dislocated and invisible nature of these different ideological binds that connect all these individuals together and connect this entire network of globalism and global empire together, in as much as they're designing a way to manage the populations, manage popular democracy and and Republican government, democratic institutions in the West, and they're beginning to bring them and the population centers under control. And you can see that there was a technotronic application, a color revolution, a a clandestine CIA operation against the 2020 election. And, you know, we could see all the, the, the details of that. You could see that the data bears out the disconnect between reality and what people were misled to believe in the fake news, the disinformation agencies, the corporate media that's there just to perpetuate a particular narrative of reality and hide uncomfortable subject matter and uncomfortable truths that the the globalists, young global leaders and the, the Klaus Schwab a masters of the the world are not willing to accept. And so when it comes to the, the deep straight network of globalist insiders, the elites inside of Washington, D.C., who are bringing all the nations of the world online to become hollowed out by these mechanisms of mass migration and economic pressures and <clears throat> financial insolvency, which has a lot to do with the, the state of our currencies, and this move towards central bank cryptocurrencies and in, in crypto coins and digital digital money. And so as we're these things are unfolding, we can see that on the southern border, far from the Border Patrol and the law enforcement agencies in the South there and, and along Texas and, and along Arizona along those borders being able to effectively guard against human trafficking networks and the cartel and the massive flow, the abuse of the the migrants as they're being sold like chattel to be able to cross over the border. They're not just people that are just coming in caravans and jumping over the border and coming in. That would be a negative and uh, it would be, a catastrophic circumstance if that was taking place, but this is even worse because the people that are being brought over by the hundreds of thousands and the million here, innumerable people are coming in as not only undocumented workers, but as hostages and as slaves so that they are in hock and they owe money as they're getting these jobs as drywallers and painters and, and menial servants around the country. Their paychecks are going to the drug cartels and the looming threat of Of harm to family members from the cartels is is in place, and the ability for American freedom, the justice system, and the liberty of political sovereignty on behalf of these people, and the 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 free air of uh, the state of freedom of of American independence, does not extend to these people in their servitude when they come here, because they're in the charge of and like indentured servants, they're contracted and obligated to these criminal cartels so of course the answer is simple to roll down there with our tanks and take out the cartels and shoot them with missiles and just abolish them off the face of the earth just like we did with isis i think we should do the same thing with the cartels just completely wipe them out and and free the mexican people and all the people from the south american countries just free them of these criminal murderous bands of, of of sick animals and just like I said, wipe them out, set the populations free of these criminal cartels. Of course, such a thing would necessitate the the whole problem that we've had with Texas all along with Mexico. It would necessitate a North American Union because in order to do this, to, to roll down the tanks down there, would be to just take Mexico over completely. And um, it is so corrupt, and the cartels, which are so they're like a paratrooper, a paramilitary force down there on par with the the Mexican military. And so that they have their heavy weapons. They've had these billions of dollars to buy rockets and 50-cal and machine guns and all, the, and all the other stuff. So that they can't be easily rooted out. But we have to look at the reality of the difficulty that has been left there ever since we had to fight with Santa Ana. Remember the Alamo, the whole concept of maintaining our... Democratic institutions and our political liberty and our republican constitutional government here in America against Maximilian III, who was just another emperor, another princeling of Europe, another you know noble bloodline, divine right of kings, a papist and ultramontane elitist. That's what that's what he was, and that's really ultimately what we rejected in Santa Anna, because they were just whipped dogs pressed into service to hold a gun and march around. And and of course, Davy Crockett and, and the heroes of the Alamo were, were really aggressive, patriotic and heroic warriors who just shot them like fish, fish in the barrel. Right. So this whole problem that we have there is, it's the same problem that's represented by in Georgia, by the Georgia Guidestones. I think we have to recognize, even though they were blown up and destroyed, they were ultimately symbolic of a future point in time when, uh, future events will occur. And so I think they're pointing to future events and future difficulties and war and starvation and famine. And so that Guidestone location, even though it's been destroyed, is an important point in the future that we should uh, pay attention to. And the same is true with the Texas border. Remember, Texas was originally a national republic. It had its own nation state, uh, its own republic. The democratic institution, that free Republic of Texas, should be at all costs defended. And I think that Mexico should be freed as well, be freed from these criminal cartels, free from the influence of the Catholic charities and the Roman Catholic priests there, who are obviously provocateurs and who are playing political games, you know, Jesuitical games, in order to send these people forward. and, And like an Aslan movement, you know, like a La Raza, Mexican nationalist, racist kind of political movement to brown or bronze or, you know, the southwest of America. And it's, it's really just the age-old battle for hegemony in the region that was the battle with Santa Ana. So we have to kind of understand that. And people who are here, who are, are here illegally, will, will simply have to be in the provocative position of having to be singled out and have to file out, even if they come here by the million. I think it becomes even more of a, of a, a problem. And I think people can simply come out of the shadows, get processed, get the biometric IDs that everyone else has to have to be able to travel around and to be a person who's on the books. So you're in the database so we can know who you are. And if you're going to go around and and run people over and be a drunk driver or you're a serial killer or you're a problem here in America or you're MS-13, we can know and find you and, and get you out. And you don't belong here. So it's it's as simple as that. And uh, so as we're going forward here, let's just drop in on the war room with Steve Bannon and take a listen to his perspective of what's happening on the southern border. He has an interesting guest. And I think you should probably hear the alarming news.
6: Right now, you also have to have a set of stones to face it. We have the ability to stop this nonsense and to stop this this invasion on the southern border. You can, on the appropriations bill, you can just say, we're not doing this anymore. We're not going to fund this stuff and quite frankly this story and this story that you're going to break on Monday is I've worked this uh, I've been in this line of work on the border for now 12 years that's a blockbuster story if even half of that is true because it shows you the insidious nature of this regime and what they're doing and the games they're playing to actually exacerbate the invasion it shows you how well thought through they can't do anything in the country to help anybody but they can short think through 10 different moves of how to make it even an increased invasion on the uh, southern border and into the United States and then deep into the interior. What do you think has to do, and do you think McCarthy, as speaker, has the stones to do what needs to be done? Because I got to tell you, there's some I see fighting through and how they're going to fight through and they'll blink. If you cut them off on their ability to let the invasion of the southern border continue, right? Because because Schumer told you what it was about. It's not Steve Ben. It's not Gateway pun It's not Breitbart. It's not War Room. It's Schumer. He's saying, "Hey, you're not having enough babies, so uh, you know we need to we need to get more foreigners in." That was Schumer at the microphone. Do you think, sir, as you know them and you work with them every day and you brief them every day, do they have the stones? That you need to essentially, because this will, Biden would shut the government down if they said no. We're not playing your games anymore. We're not funding this madness on the southern border. Todd Benson. Uh,
7: You know, I'm not a huge optimist uh, on this. My feeling was that if the Republican uh, damage had been broader and deeper, uh, because listen, the immigration, the the mass migration crisis at the border was one of the top three area issues of concern to all Americans. Uh, and it didn't really uh, resonate in a, in a damaging way, as much of a damaging way as it was expected to. And I thought that if it had really hurt the Democrats to the bone marrow, that they might have been malleable on this issue. But I think that they're looking at this. I saw Biden come out right after the results and say, and he was asked, "Is, is anything going to change in your policies as a result of this?" And he said, "Nothing." And I believe him. I'm going to believe him. Uh, the I think the Republicans will try. There are some. Uh, some there are you know the, the Freedom Caucus. There there are good Republicans who are good on this issue. Who I think are going to push and agitate as well. They should. For so, do you think McCarthy? They, they have you, you, he
6: has eight now. He has eight or ten hard no votes. The only way you convince these guys that I am going to be tough, I'm going to go. The Republicans can't hide from this issue now. There's been too much reporting. People know too much. My point is, there'll be a revolt from this audience and from all the other conservative audiences because of everything we have. Even the spending is tied back to this. If you don't stop this on the southern border, we don't have a country. It's that simple. And so they're going to literally have the bayonet to their back, the proverbial bayonet to their back. Don't back up. you got to keep going. Do you see that on the Republican side? Because when your story comes out next week, it's going to be one of a hundred just layered up that it's impossible for them and run away and not look at this
7: as reality that has to be addressed. Right. Well, what what needs to happen is at least some effort to, uh, play with the purse strings on this, but we saw just a few years ago when Trump was facing a kind of a similar situation. He was trying to get things done at the border, uh, and you know the, we had a standoff, and they closed the government, and ultimately it didn't it didn't work as well as it was what it was what it was intended how it was intended. I'm not sure how well the purse strings work. On This particular issue because the levers all lead pretty much to the White House and then from there to DHS, Mayorkas. Uh So, I mean, if they want to keep this going and it seems like they do, uh, I think they're going to find ways to just keep it going. And one of the ways is, as I just mentioned, to, you know, pre-approve thousands upon thousands of immigrants for for. Hum- humanitarian parole while they're still in mexico and then just uh walk them over the bridge i was there i i got into the interior of the mexican side of the operation they gave me full unfettered access and i watched them do it on a date on a data portal share a cbp1 data portal shared with the mexicans and they're just putting in all these names in there and and they're bringing them over and you can't see that in a in a, in a Fox News drone overhead. Uh, this is all hidden behind federal walls, and it seems like it's increasing and increasing and increasing under something called legal pathways. The Mayorkas, uh people are saying legal. We are creating legal pathways at the southern border. That's a whole different thing. Uh, that's a whole. That's a game changing. Kind of uh, a change to the immigration process. Now there is litigation in Florida, uh, the state of Florida, about humanitarian parole, the, the questionable legal authority that they're using for this. In my opinion, I'm not a lawyer, but I, it's a the, the law is very simple, and even for somebody like me, and it really does seem like they are breaking the law. They're misusing humanitarian parole on a massive scale so uh, people need to pay attention to that Florida lawsuit at this point Uh, you're not going to see the migration numbers go up as much and they may even go down the, the apprehension numbers because they're moving them to the ports of entry over the bridges you can't see it and they don't log as an illegal alien apprehension none of them log that way
6: let me. Uh, last thing uh, is the Abbott Abbott dropped this on the day of President Trump's um, launch of his campaign. And Abbott people know Abbott's ambitious. Also, it was literally ripped from uh, Carrie Lake's what she was going to do or will do uh, on her inauguration as governor—the very first day—is send a warning shot to Biden, give him thirty days, uh, and then declare declare an invasion, give Biden thirty days to deal with it. Is Abbott's performative or is this real?
7: Here's what I can tell you uh, based on uh, my uh, relationship with somebody who is in very high up in Texas state government that they have certain plans that do not include rounding up illegal aliens and kicking them back to Mexico. That is not on the table. Uh, they, They do plan to do some things that are new. But I couldn't get I couldn't get a good beat on what that is. But something is coming. Something's happening. Uh, but it's not going to be what everybody was hoping for. What Carrie Lake was promising to do. Uh, but for the most part,
6: why is Abbott why 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 is Abbott not have the balls to 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 uh, it, it call for an invasion? Ev- That's an invasion of Texas and take all those emergency measures that he's authorized to do. Why won't he well, do it?
7: I have have an answer to that Uh, one reason that this is from them is that uh, you know under title 42 border patrol routinely kicks illegals back 35% only now but they're still doing it and by the way those ones that they're kicking back under 42 are coming in on the bridges now they gave them an escape hatch to come in legally okay but that's Monday uh What the Texas uh, leadership is concerned about there is that if Texas were to start doing the same thing, they would just turn right around and come back in just like they do when Border Patrol does. They would have to do something else like fly them to their home countries or something like that. And when Texas does push them back, like Title 42, a Texas-style Title 42 they don't have the ability to check fingerprints with uh, on the federal side and biometrics on the federal side because the federals will not cooperate uh, with something like this on the Texas side. There's, there's a, a Grand Canyon-sized chasm in cooperation on that issue, and they're worried that they'll push back terrorists and criminals uh, that they don't know who then, when they come back, Uh, They won't be able to catch him the next time. Well,
6: so they—that's the explanation. Sounds sounds, sounds like their explanation, looking for an answer, you know, a dodge, looking for explanation. Appreciate you coming on, brother. By the way, MTG just texted me said report. She talked to uh, Kevin McCarthy and wanted to report that Kevin McCarthy said 100%, 100%. There will be no funding for a special counsel. Zero funding from him for a special counsel. Just saying. That the guy's running and he, he's trying to, you know, he's trying to meet people's demands. I understand people got a lot of problem with it. They got 10 no votes. We'll report on more of that tomorrow because that's going to be a big deal. 830 tonight, also on Getter for the Live. I want to go to John Mills. Colonel Mills wrote a brilliant piece. You know, we got everything with the Chinese Communist Party laptop from hell. You got Biden over there rubbing up against Xi, trying to, uh, trying to take down tensions. Tensions are still high as we don't respond to the hot economic war they've got us so the hot information war john mills has come up with some quick solutions john walk us through this piece in Epoch times of what we need to do asap to be sure we're ready militarily for the ccp
8: well, yeah, the piece was nothing will change until nothing changes in epic times. And uh, it's about really the, uh, the American naval buildup and say, hey, what the heck do I, an army officer, know about the American naval buildup? Well, for 12 years, we've been trying to keep a spreadsheet straight on uh, on building the U.S. Navy from 285 to 355, 400, 500. I mean, they're running out of spreadsheets at the Pentagon, and uh, we've got to get this straight. Now, my proposal, I know the Navy's going to really uh, not like this, but there was a general named Leslie Groves who ran and he was an Army general, an Army engineer. He built the Pentagon, and then he uh, then he ran the Manhattan Project to build our first nuclear weapons. Uh, I think the Navy needs to focus uh, on forward deployments and op tempo here, and we really need to get our building our shipyards just we have to recapitalize them. A lot of people don't realize. You know, the, the uh, youngest uh, dry dock in uh, in uh, Pearl Harbor is uh, what is it, about eighty years old, and uh, the oldest one is over one hundred and ten years old. I mean, we, we have got to get recapitalize our existing shipyards and expand them. And I think it's time to place an army engineering general in charge to march this to completion because the arm the navy has been has been fooling with this for 12 years it's becoming a, a joke in the halls of the pentagon they can't keep the ship ship plan ship building plan straight and so why don't we let the navy focus on forward operations and have an army engineer general come in and em- expand all the shipyards the,
6: the, the reason i had to do this i showed it to my daughter who's an army officer i'm a naval officer only the army could come, but it's actually quite a brilliant idea. I'm not saying I
0: agree with it, all my Navy colleagues, but Leslie Groves is a special guy. So, in line with that whole particular perspective, and this this whole the continuum of our story here on uh, Syllabus Journal, and we're trying to point out the underlying thesis of our argument that the continuation of the Congress of Vienna, the Holy Alliance, the secret Treaty of Verona as an extension of that, and, and the whole centuries-long anathema and oath of the imperial powers to take down popular government, democratic institutions, and republican ideals that were springing up in the West as the, the British monarch and crown lost control of his colonies there and ultimately Maximilian III would lose control of Mexico, who was really the imperial ruler, as we we're saying. And ultimately, this, now the paradigm, moving towards the development, as we saw with Kissinger, towards the production of a phalanx, an ideological and geopolitical fraternity of individuals, like the individuals we see on the world stage today. And so that's how we see the the young global leaders and this plan, which is not unlike the procession of the Skull and Bones at Yale as they moved individuals into the the selected elite, into positions of power, the John Kerry's of the world. And that's exactly what Klaus Schwab is. They're all all part and parcel of the same insider aristocracy, a new world order elite, and uh, all the different kind of nomenclature that we have to developed out to kind of quantify our enemy as we go forward. And the whole conversation is, like I said, we're just peeking in at some of these fascinating interviews, and you have to take time out to uh, do some of this research and listen to some of these discussions. And I think as we're going forward here, I want to introduce just another conversation with Matthew Arret, And of course, he's been on a lot of different uh, programs lately. We've been listening to him at Geopolitics and Empire and he recently got on there with Jay Dyer was talking and they're talking about theosophy and stuff like that. So we're going to get into more of that and these discussions, you know, we're furthering this whole larger conversation and narrative and we have to find uh, counterparts who are capable of helping us discover, you know, the shadowy past. And that's what I like about Matthew. All right, here is going to take another look at some of the, the hidden history and some of the, the background, Story, and he's going to discuss Aaron Burr and, uh, and Hamilton and some of these different figures and the development of the, of the American Republic here, which was an intended, balanced, with checks and balances, of course, as we say, a sovereign power of the political liberty of all the people protected by the electoral college. So, in as much as that the the ballot would be diversified among all the people and territories and counties so that everyone would be represented equally. So that's a fascinating process. They went to great lengths to set up three parts of our government so the power would be separated and that the, the sovereignty and the power of the government could last a very long time without being corrupted. And so we're seeing the process, the insidious process of this corruption and the breakdown Of, uh, you know, it has to be a very sophisticated, augmented, and technotronic combination of insider infiltrators and fraternity men and skull uh, bonesmen, right? Uh, Freemasons or what have you that have to enter in the the midst of all this to orchestrate the downfall of the United States, just as they did in Germany and they did in, in other areas of the world. So that's what this whole discussion about the connection between the CIA and the World Economic Forum. So we're going to move over to Tom Luongo and Matthew Arendt are going to have this fascinating discussion. And I think Tom Luongo is my neighbor here in Florida. So I hope that maybe sometime I can speak to him or we can um, maybe have a little chat. But no, we have to listen to this fascinating discussion. I try to edit the conversation for time so that you can, you know, you're not listening to a, a representation of the entire interview, but we try to break it down so that we can have a really good look at what the conversation's about and add to this larger illustration and storyline that we're representing here at Syllabus Journal. So here, uh, here's this fascinating discussion.
9: So that we can sit down and actually see, view the tapestry of history and look at the threat assessment, have time and energy and and discernment. That's what our brains do in order to get this shit done, like this is like reality, and so what I what I said to to, to Matt beforehand and this is a point that I've made in other um, interviews and whatnot, I'm not really on this podcast which is that Given the current state of affairs, and given you know my position as, a, as both a market analyst and a geopolitical analyst, and not necessarily as much of a historian, this is part of the reason why I want to bat on today. Because it's, as a historian, my my command of the facts of the history is not great, so I bring people on who have a better. Understanding of history than I do, certainly So you have this moment where Well, the French Revolution in the minds Of, of Asians, of Ancient Asian cultures is at, at, you know, 200 You know, 200 years You know, in, in arrears It's too early to tell what the, what the Outcome of that is in their minds I said, well, let's think about The situation today with the Federal Reserve Europe, Bank of England British Crown And and it just popped in my head when they was. it's the same thing that's happening now. It's like, we have this moment in time where the American Revolution, we should ask that same question of the American Revolution, which is to say, what do you think of the American Revolution? And I'm at the point now where I'm saying it's too early to tell. Yeah. Because the United States banking system has always been subordinate to European um, imperatives. Yeah. And in modern times it's been the imposition of argument well, I've been making is the imposition of Live as the debt indexing rate for basically all of Europe and the United States, and then how that has had ruinous effects, I believe, on you know, American domestic, monetary and foreign policy over the last century or more than a century, and that we're now at a moment in time where it's very clear that mechanistically speaking, the US financial system and the stewards of it are declaring independence. And so, you know, my argument has been that the British Crown has wanted their colonies back since the day after Cornwallis surrendered at Yorktown. And then Jerome Powell is going, yeah, but I, I, I no longer have to be beholden to the LIBOR, and I can set monetary policy for my banks that I'm in charge of and that I'm beholden to. And no longer am I beholden to City of London. Frankfurt, Amsterdam, Milan, that you know all those guys. So that's that was that's what sparked this this entire original conversation. And when I said that, the Matt, your response was, "Ooh, that's
10: interesting." Like, and yeah, yeah I think it, it, is, well, so. absolutely. And you know, I well, I, I like I like the sensitivity to the long waves, of, the long, more subtle but but important waves of history that a lot of people don't pay attention to because you know you it's sort of easy to see the car accident, the, the the person getting hit by the car outside when you look out the window and it's like a crazy accident. You know, it's really, really visceral imagery of what happened, but to actually appreciate that, you know, a couple of weeks earlier that person driving the car had caught his wife cheating on, uh, you know, it, <laughs> with, with, with this guy who he just hit in the car. Like, it's, it's a, it takes more mind work to hold that in the mind, and it's more subtle, maybe a bit more boring in some ways to get that part of the backstory, but it's, it's like, present, and it's efficient as a causal effect. And if you were just a, mechanic, uh, a, a mechanist, you, you yeah. wouldn't really pay any regard to that, um, because you'd just be saying, well, what caused this person to get hit and die? Well, it was this car moving at this speed, at this weight, at this, you know... Um, but the fact is, yeah, you're right. Like a, the American um, experiment is an experiment; it is not a finished product. It never. It, nobody should have ever treated the United States in what happened in 1783, uh, when the British delegation did not show up at the Peace of Paris signing. You know, you have that painting that's half finished, and you have the American delegation sitting there with Ben Franklin and John Jay and a few others. The, the British delegation's not there. Benjamin West, the painter, had to just, like, say, well, abort. <laughs> They're just not going to show right. up. <laughs> <laughs> so, but it's, but, and I selected that painting for the cover of the first volume of the, the Unfinished Symphony, the, the Clash of the Two Americas, Volume 1, Unfinished Symphony, and I have that painting there because I think it just speaks so loudly that, you know, the entirety right. of the 19th century and then into the 20th and to the present, it has been shaped by the lack of recognition and acceptance by the part of British grand strategists that this happened. And not only that, but they had been utilizing and cultivating fifth columnists, people who maybe on the surface uh, acted like they were loyal American patriots, but in reality were always United Empire loyalists to their core, always Mm -hmm. uh, obedient to commands, influence from the British, uh, you know, the city of London, operations, the colonial office, the foreign office run by people like Jeremy Bentham, who, by the way, I'll just say, to get a taste of, like, people are like, well, who would these these fifth columnists be, which I assert is at the heart of the deep state today. It's not Absolutely. in any way disconnected of what happened and what was built up in the 1780s and 90s in America. One example, if people want to know, Aaron Burr. Aaron Burr lived with Jer- Jeremy Bentham, the head of the British Foreign Office, in his mansion for five years straight. Between 1807 and 1812, J- Aaron Burr, the former vice president, lives right. with Jeremy Bentham. Why? Why does he do that before being deployed back to the United States a few weeks before the War of 1812 is begun? Mm-hmm. Well, who the hell is Aaron Burr, right? I mean, Burr is a guy who was, yes, vice president, but he was caught. He was caught in 1807 for the third time orchestrating a secession movement to where the plan was, and there was a whistleblower, kind of like a Smedley Butler character on the inside who he thought he could trust, who was part of the conspiracy to work with the British to take the Louisiana territories that had just recently been purchased three years earlier by, uh, Jefferson, right? Um, Hamilton was actually a key negotiator behind the scenes for a lot of that stuff. But the the idea was to take the Western territories, have Burr with his his uh, lackey Colonel Wilkerson, who was actually a Habsburg spy, and his letters have come to the surface over the, uh, the ensuing years that prove that he was actually a Habsburg spy. Um, and they were they were going to work together to then declare war on the on the Spanish more broadly, uh, specifically over Florida and uh, I think it was New Orleans.
8: Mm-hmm.
10: British soldiers and some American mercenaries. Um, the whole thing was run out of the house. This whole conspiracy in 1807 was run out of the, out of the, the house of a fellow named uh, Andrew Jackson, who was part of the Burr machine. That was his matter, was the headquarters. And then one of the key figures, who I think was a senator, uh, blows the whistle to Congress. They do court hearings. They, they have an actual hearing on the Burr conspiracy. They have testimonials, witnesses, evidence presented. Um, somehow Burr gets away, because they didn't have the smoking gun until a a few decades after Burr dies, where it comes out that Anthony Mary, who was the British ambassador to America, wrote to the foreign office in um, 1804, right when Burr loses, because he he had tried this a few years earlier when he was running for the governor of New York. He needed to be the governor, though, to make that work. But in 1804, Anthony Mary writes to his home office, saying... uh, we have just acquired the services of Aaron Burr, who is the vice president, but he cannot do anything, and he wants to give his services to the British cause. This is great. And, and you can read the whole transcript. It's, it's there in archival material from the 1890s on archive.org. You can, like, read this thing. I say it a lot because it's useful. <laughs> and, uh, you know, so Burr, they, he ends up getting acquitted on some technicality, but the whole publicity about this conspiracy, which involved him going, in, he was supposed to uh, dip, uh, basically take control of the West, uh, depose Jefferson as president, impose himself, and then declare um, separation from the slave south, south, uh, states of the South, who would then become their own pro-British Confederacy. He would join the Canadian-British Confederacy, reconstitute, undo the constitution, reconstitute the nation. Under sort of new pro-British principles, and uh, it would just undo undo the experiment again. So, to recap, but 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 correct me if I'm wrong. Niall Ferguson would tell you that you're crazy Or even thinking that, that that has nothing to do with the present, or that that would have yeah. nothing to do with what happened in 1860, what blew up later. Now, Wait. what happened? In oh, no, 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 what, what are you talking about? Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, no, no. There's, there's like several oh. generations in between. You can't say one cause the other. Oh, yeah. um, so, yeah. Burr, Burr oh, he's given $40,000 by John Jacob Astor, because the public has, they were more literate back in those days, and people were, right. writing, were getting transcripts and feedback over weeks of what was going on in the hearings. There was enough hate of Burr at this point by the masses all over the United States that he couldn't even walk outside of the getting like tomatoes thrown at him. So he had to escape to Canada, where his um, nephew-in-law was the governor-general of Canada. The governor-general of Canada was his nephew-in-law through marriage. He gave him personal letters to meet up with um, Bentham in Britain, Lord Castlereagh, who's organizing the Congress of Vienna. At that same time, they're like setting the stage for what do we do when we put down the Napoleon Project and then reconstitute oligarchism in Europe. That's the guy, that's Castlereagh, who's managing that whole thing with Metternich and a bunch of Jesuits. So this guy goes there, he lives with Bentham in a drug-infested, like opium-infested, orgiastic, five-year period that he says the best time of his life. (laughs) It's like like American colonial eyes wide shut, for fuck's sake. It really is, yeah. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It really is that. And then he comes back and he reconstitutes his machine after five years and people have now forgotten a little bit of the drama. Uh, but this is the third attempt. He had tried this in eighteen hundred when he was running for the president again against Jefferson. He was only subverted by one vote, and that was purely because Hamilton put his whole backing behind getting Jefferson elected president, which right. upset Burr's need to be the president to break the Union into a northern south. And then Hamilton goes and does it again in eighteen oh four, when Burr is trying plot number two to become governor of New York, the economic engine of the America, of the colony, or right. the, the young young republic. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and he's again subverted by Hamilton, who makes a move a third time or a second time, kills Hamilton, and he's already taken over control of Hamilton's Bank in New York, turned it into this speculative Bank of Manhattan mechanism that becomes beholden to the city of London. So it, all of a sudden, this thing, and I think everyone knows that story. Um, so so not, this, so just, just,
9: just, just to clarify, I, I I don't mean to interrupt very, but, yeah. but I do. Which okay. is Bank of New York, or Bank of Manhattan. Is that Today, what we you would consider Bank of New York Mellon. Yeah, uh, yeah. Okay, that's I, that, that, then that, 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 that. That makes perfect. So, so Bank of New York Mellon today, I think, is the just the, you know it would have merged with somebody else. It, if been- it the, same, the same. It was the same organization. Then that also tracks because now Bank of New York Mellon is one of the uh, one of the major money center banks in in New York today that I've identified as being completely on board with. The European, the continued European subversion of the United States, yeah. back in New York, Mellon, Bofa, and then obviously BlackRock is, which isn't a bank, but it, you know, it, 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 you know, has aspirations of being a bank. Um, so now I'm gonna just, so this is all fascinating. This is all cool. Something came up in conversation the other day that I wanted to ask you about, which is, um, and this is this is what beforehand before we started recording, I said I said to you, it's like something came up in conversation the other day. Can't remember what it was, but someone said, but ask Matt about this when you have it on the podcast, which is following. You know, and this is coming from somebody who's, you know, also a historian. He's just like he said to me, like, I never thought about this. We had Napoleon, and we have the War of eighteen twelve. Napoleon goes to war at the on the same time that the British go to war against the United States. Mm-hmm. Same year, it's eighteen twelve. Uh, so I, I've never put the two of them together. Those two things together. So I'm going to like put you on the spot. And I want you to like, you know, free associate now and tell me if there's any any real because you were kind of alluding to it a little bit. This was because when your your last your, your last statement just like threw something together where you kind of well you've got Napoleon then you've got like yeah and this is the thing that that, that prompted me to say these things happen in the same year, the same calendar
10: year. Yeah, that was Napoleon's assault on Russia too. Uh, John Quincy Adams was the young ambassador at the time uh, to Moscow, St. Petersburg, I guess. Um, right. That that was almost a, that was an existential threat for both Russia and the United States at the same time. Um, <clears throat> how exactly? You're you're saying something that's so I, interesting. I, that I'm not
9: I, I'm not saying anything. You're no, I mean you're, you're you're bringing it up, things up at the same time. So I want. So yeah, I, 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 I'm gonna put you on the spot and see if you come up with something. I'm, I'm not. Really I, I, and
10: you, you can deflect the question a bit. No, I mean, <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll answer it the way I can. But but it's like. Sure. An, if, set of associations that I've also been thinking about, and I haven't done the work to speak with any strong authority on this matter, but it's definitely not coincidental. Um, what I can definitely say is, um, Napoleon was not his own man, um, though much like the case of many of these, um, sort of, uh, City of London funded, uh, fascist uh, frontmen who are assigned to carry out um, a strongman task to do do something for geopolitical effects that they themselves don't even fully understand. We saw this with the case of, like, the rise of Hitler and Mussolini. Um... Great examples. You know, they're supposed to carry out a, a certain task, but they also had. They were a little bit uh, inclined, especially Hitler, to to go off the reservation mm-hmm. at certain moments. Napoleon was definitely inclined. He had a godlike complex. He saw himself as a new Charlemagne. you, you know. Endowed and ordained by God to reorganize and reconsolidate all of Europe under one central command structure, and then beyond that, you know, he he was looking to Asia, to India, to other things to also consolidate under a new Roman Empire. Um, That was certainly under. That that benefited um or would have benefited the logic of, of a big chunk of the oligarchy, the hereditary bloodlines that do go back a very long time, who were manipulating a lot of the, the empires, you know, like it seems like you got clashes of empires, and on the surface level you do. But when you get up to the upper echelons, you start seeing that there's more synergy amongst a lot of these families who interbreed and you know, are keep control of their property property rights and their fondies that then, you know, they're sort of beholden to and their kids are beholden to over many generations, which has, it gets you into this weird secret society, occult world as well that you can't really avoid, but it gets kind of weird and disgusting. All that to say, it definitely benefited that logic of what Napoleon wanted, benefited a big chunk of what, you know, this, this unipolar romanticism of
0: global feudalism was. It would have been beneficial in some ways to them. So I'll just jump in and just help out right there to answer that fascinating question the War of 1812 and Napoleon's invasion to Russia and the restoration of the Society of Jesus. The restoration of the Society of Jesus would be in the works and would occur just months later in 1813. And of course, 99 years later, 100 years later from 1813 would be the introduction of the Federal Reserve System in 1913. So it's a pretty straightforward calendar. There's not a lot of the, a mystery right there, but in you know 18, 12 and 1813 was the the end of the Napoleon's usefulness um, because ultimately the censure of the Pope, the Papacy against the Society of Jesus and the Bull of Extinguishment, uh the Later, they, they tried to say it wasn't exactly a bull, but it was. It was a bull of extinction that destroyed and extinguished the society of Jesus forever. And, of course, uh, Clement Thirteenth and Clement the Fourteenth were under censure and were poisoned and, and suffered greatly because of this right, very righteous act. Because of the society of Jesus, these Jesuits were a sick and uh, twisted by a band of assassins set against the world uh, and against all reason and conscience and so ultimately they got their, the Pope that they were able to bring under their control, and they were brought back into existence again, and this is the restoration of the Society of Jesus at 18, during this time in 1812 and 1813. And so this is the crucial component of this time period that Tom Lomongo and Matthew Arendt are talking about. So we're just getting to the, the close of our show here, and I just wanted to take an opportunity to thank you for coming back again and joining with us here at the syllabus journal and this particular entry is is just a fascinating look at what happens behind the scenes in geopolitics and regarding the history of the american revolution and America and the world's fight for freedom and we thank you again and we hope you all get us on cash App. So if you go to Cash App and go to hashtag Looking Glass Forum, you can support us there. You can go uh, to osk.thesect at gmail. You can message us and you can support us that way. So thank you again, guys. It's just a pleasure to be here and to have such a great audience.